Welcome to The Big Picture, a show that takes a deep dive into the political landscape of not only America, but right here in our own backyard of Illinois. It's showtime, folks. The Big Picture is on WCPT 820. And now, here's your host, Edwin Eisentrath. Oh my gosh, so disappointing for you, isn't it? It's Tory Ryder in for Edwin. He's taking a couple weeks off. I'll be in here for him this weekend and next weekend and for Joan for the next two weeks. So we're going to have a lot of fun and we're going to talk some serious stuff. And it's all happening right here on Chicago's Progressive Talk, live, local and progressive. You can be part of the program by texting or calling any point while I'm here, 773-763-WCPT. If you woke up this morning in Aurora or Kankakee or Manhattan, Illinois, another city my New York grandmother would have called the wrong Manhattan, says the person who was raised in Manhattan, Kansas, um, you, you might have heard there was a kerfuffle at your gas station or bus depot or metro station. That's because Governor Abbott of Texas is once again treating live human beings like something you'd ship by Amazon, stuffing them on a bus, telling them they're going to Chicago, sending them to some approximation of Illinois and dropping them off. I mean, thank goodness the weather hasn't been worse than it has been, but still, from Texas to here, it takes about a day, dumped off the bus, and they don't know where they are, don't speak English, no resources. The state of Texas, by the way, does get money for these folks. They're just not sending any of it with us, and they're not even doing Illinois the courtesy of letting us know these buses are coming. And the weird part is, and this is just me with the speculator. If you've listened to me a lot, you'll know that that's my favorite tool, the speculator. Some people like the power drill. Some people like the table saw. I like the speculator. That's my favorite tool. The weird part of this is Oh, and did I mention they flew a bunch of people into O'Hare this past week, three days ago, dumped them at O'Hare and ran away. So the city of Chicago impounded one bus. And so bus drivers are just getting the the word to drop them off somewhere else. Number one, who the hell are these bus drivers? Number two, why aren't we arresting them? Number three, why aren't we impounding absolutely everything they're using? Because this is definitely human trafficking. And I don't really care which side of the border issue you're on. It does not matter. That's a separate issue. That is a separate concern. If you think we should shut our borders down, if you think we should have built Trump's wall, it doesn't matter. Once they're here, they're here. And they're human beings. And your politics... Whatever they may be, need to just be put to the side because these are human beings. And you don't get to play politics with the life or death or health of actual human beings. And if you actually look some of these people in the eye, could you actually say to anyone, well, you know what, this is not my problem, freeze to death. This is not my problem, starve to death. Could you do that? And yet, weirdly, 
Governor Abbott has no trouble doing this. And these bus drivers, that's that's the this is like almost like being the, the guards at the camps in in Germany. Like, oh, well, not my problem, not my job. These people could die. These people could freeze to death. They may. They're part of an organized effort to possibly kill them. And they're willing. They're willing. It seems pretty obvious to me. So why why is Aurora driving people to metro state metro stations and putting them on trains to Chicago? What why is Kankakee? Why is Manhattan, Illinois? It's town of which, God help me, I've never heard in my life until today. This is me with the speculator. I actually think that there's a level of opposition to immigrants so that they're not even human in these places. And they're almost like Greg Abbott. Fine, make it Chicago's problem. That's how these people are seen as problems. Not as people. They're just problems. And they're not even, they're not even treated with, with the basic dignity that we give our American homeless, where many of those folks have access to disability payments or emergency rooms, or at least most of them speak English and can to some small extent, hopefully, lobby for themselves. Look, I think we need to improve the system. I'm not saying, nobody's saying that this is a good way of dealing things with things. But why, why would you not support impounding the planes, impounding the buses, arresting the pilots and the drivers? In Texas, Governor Abbott's Texas, if you're caught driving people in unsafe vehicles, you get arrested for trafficking. You get arrested in Texas. Why are we not arresting these people in Illinois? The speculator in me says it's because a lot of the people where these buses are are stopping off think, oh, good, we'll just send these people to Chicago. It's going to be their problem now. And by the way, what is wrong with the residents of these towns that they're permitting this to go on and not demanding that their local police and sheriffs arrest the drivers, arrest the handlers, impound the vehicles. What well, If I lived in Aurora, you can bet I'd be down there at my city government demanding that they, that's exactly what they do. And it's not like we don't know who flew that plane into O'Hare. We got to know. And what about the people here in Chicago who, who are cooperating? Cooperating. How, how, how does that plane get refueled, by the way? Where are the people working at O'Hare who say, you know what? This, is, this plane is participating in human trafficking, and we're not going to support that. Where, where is that? Every single person who is facilitating this kind of human trafficking should be subject to arrest. Every single one of them. And again, I don't care. I'm I'm fairly, I'm not exactly an open border fan. I'm the moderate of this station. I do think that we have some issues at the border that we're not handling very well. But that's different than dumping human beings in the winter 
wouldn't matter the summer either for that matter. You just don't treat human beings like they're boxes of I don't know, canned food. You just don't treat them like that. It's one thing when you order something from Amazon and you're not home and they leave it on your porch. But this isn't a backpack for your kids next school year. This isn't a new pair of boots that you bought on Poshmark and you hope they fit. This is not flowers from you flowers that you can just leave, you know, wrapped in the nice paper and hope somebody takes them in before they freeze. This is not... What is that fresh food thing that people are... It's not DoorDash. These people are not your burger. These people are not your pizza. These people are somebody's mother, somebody's father, somebody's sister, somebody's brother, somebody's son, somebody's daughter. And whether or not they get to stay or whether or not they even came here legally is a separate issue. And we can certainly deal with that separately. But in the meantime, in the meantime, this is inexcusable. Absolutely inexcusable. And and at this point, I'm about ready to tell the city governments of these places, if you're playing hot potato with these human beings, let's come after you. Because now you're human trafficking. Now you're human traffickers. And where the heck are the sheriffs? What what are they doing? Like they're just watching? They literally are just watching. Would they just be watching if it was one of their daughters who was being human trafficked? They would not. Would they just be watching if it were one of their kids who was being farmed out for nefarious purposes by some creepy network of pedophiles? They would not. But because these people don't speak English and because they may or may not be here uh, through legal channels, because, because, because they've just decided, well, they're not people. I got people posting on my Facebook page when I mentioned I was going to talk to somebody about what happens to these folks when they leave shelters who were saying, you know, I feel bad for the people, but, you know, too bad for the people. You cannot have it both ways. The only thing that there is one question I have in my mind, which is at this point, is the word getting back to people at the border that if you get on one of these buses, it may not go well for you? We're doing our best here in Chicago. I live not far from one of the police stations in Chicago that had a huge homeless encampment in front of it. I don't even, can't even imagine what was going on inside the station. I felt terrible for the cops who were trying to work, get their job done in the middle of a, I mean, this was not what these police stations were set up to do. But this one thing I love about Chicago police, they're human beings. For the most part, They extended themselves as best they could for these people and still did their jobs. Nobody's giving them enough credit, by the way, in in my opinion. Chicago's finest have really shown themselves to be, in this situation, as compassionate as any of the rest of us. I mean, ask yourself, what would you do if all of a sudden 100 people were sleeping in your office? Yeah, well... I don't suppose that would go too well for you. 
It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you work in fine dining. It doesn't matter if you work at a, you know, transportation dispatcher. It doesn't matter if you work in tech. All of a sudden you got hundreds of people with children crying and runny noses sleeping in your office. The Chicago police stepped up and did the very best and the city has stepped up and done the very best that it can and continues to do so. And it's really a sticky situation because we do have underserved communities. We do have people here who need services. We do have people here who are sleeping outdoors. We have all of that. And even so, we have extended ourselves because these are people and we are people. But what the heck is going on in Aurora, Manhattan, Kankakee, all the places that these folks are being dropped off? They could arrest the driver. They could impound the buses. Anyone who's ever been pulled over knows that. You just say to the driver, you know, sir, ma'am, let me see your license. Step right this way. Have a seat in the back of the patrol car while we run your uh, license here. Hmm, interesting. Well, come with us. But they're not. And all of this horsewash, well, you know, in Aurora, we're not really set up for it. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> you get set up for it. A lot of these places are, are right politically in line with Governor Abbott. And so they're, I, this is my speculation. They, they are gleeful. They're happy. They're great. Oh, great. We're happy to pass these people on to Chicago. Ha <laughs> ha. Serves them right. That's, most likely, says Tory Ryder with her speculator turned up to nine. That's what I think is happening. Great. This will be Chicago's problem. You know what? Your businesses need workers. You've been lobbying for improved immigration policy for years now. This would be a good opportunity for you to step up. I had a friend come visit me from Maine, and uh, and she said, you know, we're desperate for workers in Maine, desperate for people to take entry-level jobs. We cannot get enough people to run our businesses. It's especially bad in the tourist season, but it's true all year round. Places have had to shut down because they can't find people to work in them. And if you, if you listen to any of the interviews with the folks who are coming here, they all say the same thing. Just let us work. Just let us work. And they should be allowed while they're waiting to work. And then if it turns out they're not allowed to stay, we'll deal with it. <clears throat> we'll deal with it. If we're not allowed, if they're not allowed to stay. And to be perfectly candid, I suspect many of them may not be allowed to stay. Because the rules as they're set up now, and we've had, we had uh, the head of the Immigration Judges Union, which I hadn't even known existed until he made an appearance here on WCPT and said, you know, a lot of these folks are showing up in immigration court without legal representation. And I know that if they had good legal representation, they would probably get to stay. 
But because there's no one to represent them, I have to rule on the facts as they are presented to me. And I cannot investigate their cases myself. And so many of them are deemed not legal to remain here and they have to go back. The whole system is a total disaster at this point. That's me, not him saying it. But I think he would probably have agreed. What he did say was that the the rules keep changing. We haven't had a, a, any kind of meaningful immigration reform since Ronald Reagan was president when most of you were not even born. Because, again, these are not people to us. Let's read some of your texts as they come in. And, again, if you want to join us by text, maybe you're in the middle of decorating for the holiday or maybe you're figuring out the menu or maybe you're maybe your job is to stick the the finger on the bow while somebody else ties it that was an important job for me when i was put your finger here tori so i tie this henry's nodding was that your job put your finger here oh absolutely yeah put your finger here so i can tie this now that i don't have little kids at home by the way i'm the scotch tape queen here, I, mean, I don't have a finger, so I'll just put some scotch tape here. Joe writes, we need to arrest the bus drivers, the escorts, and pound the buses and other modes of transportation. Yeah, we could – this is me now, not not uh, Joe. We could use some planes, I think. I'd, I'd like a plane. Step right up. Free planes. Also, we need to make a fine – this is Joe now, of a million dollars for every person sent and for every bus. Make the fine retro. Let's start getting nasty with Texas. I know we would never see any money. Well, I don't think you can retroactively fine people. I don't think that's allowed. But we we could we could definitely charge them account for every person they transport. Absolutely. And I defy these right-wing legislators downstate who claim that they're such devout people to look us in the face and say, you know, just drop them off on the porch like a like your pets.com order of dog food. What is it? Chewy. These are not, you know, these are not dog treats. These are people. So coming up. In the show today, it's not all going to be. It's, it is before the holidays. I'm getting, I'm getting the ranting out of my system now. But it was just so, so absurd, so absurd to read the news. Yeah, the plane landed, the people got off, and then the people ran away. Well, who ran away? The pilot, the crew, who ran away? Because here's the deal: we know who flies the plane. You know who flies the plane. You have to file your freaking flight plan. So those people you can arrest easily. And if there are minders, how are they getting back to Texas? If we can, if we have a security system at an airport that's good enough to, to, to identify people by their faces now, take off your glasses, take off your mask. If you've flown, you know how this works. Okay, we're going to facially match you with your ID. If we can do that, then we can definitely catch these people on the way back to Texas. And how much are they being paid to do this, by the way? 
I'm guessing that the minders are being paid enough that you could easily put some money on all these folks' mobile phones and give them a cash card that they could use to obtain some sort of transportation or food or shelter. That's not the point. And look, I lived in California for years. I have compassion for the border communities. It it is becoming or has become unworkable, untenable, the situation on the border. I'm not arguing with that. And I am, unlike some people, you hear these young folks, yeah, little little whippersnappers. Well, what's the difference between one country and another? Well, there is. Sorry to tell you, countries have borders. Borders should mean something. I'm not arguing any of that. But human life should also mean something. People should mean something. So, back to the fun part we're going to have today before I loop myself right around. I'd like to let you know what what you do get to hear today a little bit on the Edwin Eisendraft Show with Tory Ryder, substitute hosting. Paul DeBoer is the executive director at Chicago Furniture Bank. We've spoken with folks from the Chicago Furniture Bank before. Uh, They are placing people into homes right throughout the year, and some of these um, migrants are also being moved out of shelters, and the Chicago Furniture Bank has stepped up. Also, you know those those little new trees that Chicago has planted all over the place? How do they do? I'll never forget when I first lived in Chicago, they put in a new tree in front of the cheap little apartment that I was renting, and I watched the neighbor's kids swing on this tree until they killed it. And I'm out there yelling at them, and their parents are yelling at me in Russian. It was a, it was a scene. I'm yelling at the kids, get that, get off that tree. It is not a playground. And the parents are yelling at me in Russian for yelling at their kids. But a lot, a lot of these trees are uh, basically, you've heard the expression, a stick in the mud. This is a whole different expression for a stick in the mud. So we'll try and get to the bottom of what's exactly going on with the trees that the city's planting all over the place. And just for fun, a friend of mine posted what I considered to be an absolutely hilarious Christmas video with music. And I asked her if I could get in touch with her friend who was the co-creator of the musical Mother Freaking Hood. And uh, you'll meet her and you'll hear her song, which has been out for a couple years, but it's still, it's evergreen And uh, also, where you could take your family to hear some jazz with Grammy Award-winning jazz critic and radio host, Neil Tesser. And a little bit of Kwanzaa for you, if that is what you're celebrating, or you would simply like to learn more about what other folks are celebrating. Henry is at the controls. The phone number for texting or calling 773-763-WCPT. I am Tori Ryder, in for Edwin Eisendrath. It's 128. You're listening to The Big Picture with Edwin Eisentraff on WCPT 820. Tory Ryder in for Edwin. In a moment, we'll be joined by the executive director of Chicago Furniture Bank, Paul DeBoer. Um, but some of you had your thoughts on the migrants being brought into Chicago right now. Let's go to Steve in Chicago. Hi, Steve. Welcome. You're on WCPT. Hello. Um, I tuned in a little late, so you might have covered this already. 
But in dealing with this whole issue, one of the things that's very important that we keep in mind is the Republicans like the system the way it is right now. Because for them, undocumented immigrants serve two purposes. When they need cheap labor that's easily exploitable, they've got them. And then when they need somebody to point to for their base and say, that's why you're having problems. It's these awful people sending them back across the border. That's the other purpose. They, that is, they do not want, they, they do not want this system changed. I they w- love it. This I way. would tend to say that the, some of the newer Trumpy Republicans might feel that way. I would say that the old school business owning Republicans would be, um, would be less likely to want that. I think they want a legal pool of immigrants who do not jeopardize their businesses when they hire them. But concerning the newer, the new Republicans, the people who claim that they are the Republican party who horrify the old Republican party. Uh, I, I think you're spot on. Thank you for calling. Let's be joined now by um, Paul DeBoer, who is we, we've had, we've heard from the fabulous Chicago Furniture Bank before. Welcome, Paul. Hey, thank you. I'm glad to have you here. Um, by the way, since uh, we had the the folks from the furniture bank on. I think it was was you exactly you. Um, uh, no, it was uh, the, my uh, one of the founders of the furniture. Okay, bank, my apologies. I have stopped right. by. I stopped by, and uh, GPS makes it very hard to find you. But I yes. did. I did drop off. Yeah, it sent me to some. I think it ran me into a railroad train. Almost my GPS. Yep. But I did did drop off a bunch of um, bedding for people who are being outfitted with apartments and furnishing, furnishings and furniture because mostly what you pick up is furniture. And for those who don't know what you do, maybe we should start there. Sure. So the Chicago Furniture Bank provides free furniture, a whole house of furniture for people that are coming out of homelessness. So when, you know, typically if you're homeless, there's a reason why, um, whether it's substance abuse or incarceration or whatever the case may be. And then when they get try to get help, they get a caseworker from a different organization. We work with about 450 different organizations throughout Chicago. <clears throat> Excuse me. And when they find them a house and a place to live, instead of jumping from shelter to shelter, they get them an apartment. But when they open that apartment door, there's nothing in it. So that's where we come in. We provide a whole you know, apartment full of furniture for free to those individuals. And you deliver it, and 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 that's a big thing too, because oftentimes there's stuff available for free. But how would you get it to where you're living? Right, right, and and that includes, if I recall correctly, basic kitchen um, items like pots, pans, dishes. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, we provide them not only furniture, but we typically have a uh, kitchenware box which has plates and knives and forks and spoons and and. Uh, pots and pans, everything to kind of get them started and kick-started in their new home. And you're still um, functioning right through the holidays, and I understand that you are also working with folks who are leaving uh, migrant shelters. Is that accurate? That's correct. We haven't, (laughs) you know, we haven't switched to one or the other. We're still servicing both. We're probably doing double the amount of work that we've done in the past. So we're we're servicing both communities, the the kind of a regular client, so to speak, that we've always helped, and then we're also helping the uh, asylum seekers that are, you know, getting into uh, places 
through various means. Now, I my community volunteered with an immigrant aid organization called Hyas, and we outfitted the house, um, the apartment for the folks coming to Chicago. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry to say it didn't go well. They decided they wanted to move on to a relative that was uh, already in Wisconsin. But sure. um, are you are you working with immigrant aid agencies, or how? how what is the me- mechanism that brings you guys into action? Who with whom are you working to furnish apartments? I mean, we already know what social services agencies are working with our homeless and, un- and unhoused communities. But what about the migrant communities? What's the point of contact for you there? Yeah, so it's really being kind of facilitated by the mayor's office, right? They're they're kind of the first point of entry for all these folks. And then they're having to figure out, you know, hey, what do we do with all these people? And so we hooked up with uh, the New Life Center out of the South Side and Cradles to Crayon. And so the three of us kind of came together, working in tandem with the city of Chicago to create an aid package, if you will. Um, that includes everything Cradles to Crayons people do in terms of, you know, they help people from infant up to like eighth grade with clothing and, you know, any kind of kit to help them in terms of uh, first aid, toiletries, all of those types of things. School supplies, I think the they do. School supplies, yeah, yeah. backpacks, all of that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Cradle Sacran is doing that. We're doing the furniture. New Life Center is really helping uh, find them housing. And they're working particularly with uh, Catholic Charities in terms of trying to find them housing. And they're finding them housing wherever they can, whether it's in Chicago or whether it's in Rockford or Peoria. People are getting kind of they're shipped to Chicago, but then they're being kind of segregated to different places and essentially wherever they can find them housing. So do the, do the people themselves have any say in this? Can they say, you know, I have a cousin in Rockford or I have a you know sister in Elgin, but she doesn't have room for me in her place. But can you find me a place near this family? Does that happen? It does. Um, and you try to accommodate people the best you can. Mm-hmm. But it's also a situation where we're, we're kind of being inundated with so many people. And this is a question I get all the time is, where are you putting all these people? Yeah, I, I'm com- confused. I, I really don't. I can't even imagine if someone said to me, you know, what is Chicago re, re found housing for something like 14,000 people in the last year? Do you have numbers on that? No, I don't have the exact number. I know that the, um, you know, I just had a meeting with New Life Centers, and they're asking us to help 1,100 families a month. Oh, my Lord. Uh, which, which really is, it really exceeds our capabilities. We we traditionally do about three to 400 families a month in our old model, and today we're doing about six ninety seven hundred was our last month wow so we're we're really doubling our capacity, but it's still not enough so what would you need to be able to meet this demand? Do you need more hotels to say pick up our furniture? Do you need more people to say you know for the holiday, I got a new living room set there's nothing really wrong with the old living room set I just don't love it anymore or I'm allergic to my cat that used to sleep on this couch now so i mean how how to how do people get stuff to you and are, how are you getting the word out that you need more? And do you even have a place for more, the ability to pick up more? What's that look like on your end? Well, the short answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes to all. 
Um, we need individuals contributing furniture. We need hotel decommissions. We need university decommissions. We need all of the furniture we can get our hands on. And we have about a, a 70,000 square foot warehouse on the south side of Chicago, about 47th and Kedzie, give or take. And we can accept anything and everything in terms of what people want to give us. And we need furniture. Uh, bottom line is we need more furniture. We can we can provide more and we can do more, but we can only do more with furniture. And so if, if I had to say one thing to express to anybody listening is that whoever can help us source used furniture, that's what we need. Huh. Okay, good to know. Now, I understand that you are the only nonprofit in Chicago that can satisfactorily clean, sanitize, and redistribute mattresses and box springs. Is that still true? Yeah, I don't know if we're the only ones, but we do do that, and we do uh, sanitize them. We we have a hospital-grade disinfectant that we spray. We check them all for bed bugs and all those types of things. So we make sure that when we're delivering furniture, it's it's free of any kind of infestation, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're very critical uh, because we wouldn't want to put something in our house that we would put in somebody's other, someone else's house. I, that makes perfect sense. Can you actually clean, like, you know, where the baby spat up on the, on the crib bed? Can you actually clean that stuff up? She asks as a former mother who could never clean spit off of <laughs> anything. Yeah, right. Can that yeah, even be I mean, done? Def- Is that possible? Yes, and we do. You know, if it's too stained, then obviously we're, we're not going to give that to someone. No. But if we can clean it and we have uh, a whole process that we go through to clean mattresses and couches and things like that, and if we can clean it, great. If it doesn't come out, well, then we're not going to give it to somebody. But we, we definitely go in and clean everything. Like I said, we, we want to make sure that what we're giving people is something we'd be comfortable putting into our house. That makes sense. I mean, it may not. It may be brown and plaid and something you wouldn't want, you know, in your fancy living room if you had a fancy living room. But certainly, it keeps people from sitting on the floor. About how many um, people go into a typical apartment when you're asked to furnish an apartment? Usually, how big is that apartment, and how many people are there? Yeah, that really varies. Um, it depends on the family size. So we deal with a lot of single moms who have, you know, one, two, three, four kids. So they're they're likely getting into a two bedroom apartment, possibly maybe a one bedroom. Um, we also deal with uh, particularly with the asylum seekers. Uh, there are hotel rooms that they put bunk beds in, and so there's four people going into a hotel room. Um, so it really varies uh, depending on the situation, depending on the family size. Um, but they're, you know, they're, it's pretty basic. It's a basic setup, right? It's, it's a one bedroom apartment typically for people with, you know, one or two kids. Um, but it might be a two bedroom apartment if you have more. So it, it varies by the family size. Um, do you help people set up this furniture if it needs setting up? We do. I mean, when we make our deliveries, we go into the apartment we set it up for them and we put it into, you know, the nice part about our organization is, is when someone's chosen to come get furniture by their caseworker and that caseworker is assisting them, they come into our showroom and they choose what they want. We don't just assign them furniture. We actually let them choose. We want to give them a dignified experience. For some of these people, it's the first time maybe that they've ever kind of bought their own furniture, if you will. Uh, so they come through our warehouse, they get to choose what they want, and then we deliver it to them, put it into the uh, apartment for them, and set them up. Well, I I have to ask the, this perverse little question that's just purely for the mischief of it. Can you guys put together IKEA stuff? 
Yes. In fact, it, it's interesting. I just got yeah. I just got a relationship going with IKEA. We got 700 new couches from IKEA um, delivered to us from their New Jersey facility, and we will do. We can bring furniture from all over the country into our warehouse. Oh. And one of the nice things about that is that, regardless of where it's coming from, the cost is typically cheaper to ship to us than it is to put in a landfill. So everybody wins. So IKEA shipped us 700 couches recently. The only caveat behind there that is that it didn't have a, a couch cover. And so now we're trying to find a couch cover, and they're about $40 each. Oh. So we're trying to find somebody to help us with that. So you need <laughs> donations. To make that purchase. I, I have to say that if you, put, if you put IKEA furniture together, you guys are rocket scientists. You'll be able to find <laughs> the couch covers no problem. I mean, I actually... If if I hadn't been married for all the years I've been married, if I were dating, I would make it a criteria for dating. Like, can you put together IKEA furniture? Because that's the kind of person I. There's a problem solver right there. <laughs> exactly. Um, when the people, so the people who are coming who are Chicago's unhoused and and, and environs, they come with caseworkers. Who's working with the migrant families? Um, so the migrant families working through the New Life Center, essentially. So between Cradles of the Crayon, us and the New Life Center, we're working in, in collaboration together. And so they don't have a caseworker per se, but New Life Center is the organization that's actually ushering all these people into the new homes that they're going into. And when I say new homes, again, it might be a hotel room with four guys you know, sharing a bunk bed on each side of the room in a hotel room. Uh, that's what they're going into. Do, so New Life Center is coordinating a lot of that. Do they have the same, then they would have a different experience than the people who are coming out of homelessness, um, who've, who've been here, who are, for the most part, Americans. The, the migrants have a different, do, do they come down and pick things out? Or at that point, is it, we're going to put this room together for you so that you're not in a police station? Yeah, the migrants is a, that program's a little different than our traditional program. They're getting a furniture package that we're putting together for them, and it's basically servicing their needs. I mean, these people came here with the shirts on their back, and that's about it. So, you know, for in order for us to do the type of volume that they're asking us to do, we had to say, listen, we can only give them a set package, and we're going to make them comfortable, and we're going to give them something that works for them, and we're going to make sure that each individual has a bed to sleep in. But we can't necessarily give them everything that um, the typical, if you will, our typical Chicago client would get. That seems reasonable and fair, and maybe that's elitist of me, but I, th- and this is where I sort of run into my good fairy, bad fairy, you know, in the cartoons, like, give them everything, and then the other part going, hey, they just showed up here, you give them what you can. So, I, I'm with you. Like, if you, if you come here with nothing, then a, a safe, warm place to sleep, blankets, you know, pillow, a, a Nuclear, nuclear, microwavable, uh, you know, cup of something that that may be what you get for now. And and if they get to work, then I'm guessing that they will be moving themselves out under their own steam in the not too distant future. But uh, they're asking you to furnish places for eleven hundred households or individuals per month. 
And so 1,100 households a month, that is not what we're, ne- we're able to do, unfortunately, because we just, it, that's just a huge number for us. But that is what the state is asking us to be able to manage. And not only us, but New Life Center as well to help 1,100 people a month. So it, you, know, you just switched back and forth from household to people. I still need a, like a clear read. 1,100 households or 1,100 people? 1,100 households. Oh, I see. 1,100 households. So that's more yeah, than 1,100 more people. people. Yeah, that's more beds. Absolutely. That's more plates. That's more cups. That's more yep. yeah, dressers. Okay, so do you guys need a bigger warehouse at this point? Cause by, and by the way, could you just like put up a sign that says Chicago Furniture Bank turn here? Because I literally almost ended up underneath a freight train trying to find you guys and i definitely almost hit a tamale truck and i'm pretty sure that there was a guy screaming behind me because i wasn't supposed to be wherever i was driving could you put up a sign sure well i will tell you that tamale truck is fantastic um so the food that you get out of that tamale truck is great well i almost got the food out of there by hitting it really hard with my ancient mommy van so i just you know i felt bad but i was lost so just a little sign. Like, yeah, but, for some reason, GPS takes you a block further north. Yes. Than you, I'm sorry, a block further east, uh, east than you need to yes, be. Yes, east. And I don't know why. I don't know why either, but I, I, maybe, you know, maybe Governor Abbott is in charge of Google navigation at that point. I don't know why. Could be. Could be. So, okay, where are we with all this? So people need to, to pitch in, and what should they be doing to contact you to participate in, in getting, I mean, this is, I, I want to say directly, you need to go to your basement and you need to take a hard look at that old dining room set, that old kitchen set, the dresser for the kid who's never coming to live back home again. And you need to call the Chicago Furniture Bank because your house will feel so much bigger once you get that old kitchen set out of your basement and you will feel like you have room to put in a dance studio once Once you get your kids' old furniture out of the bedroom that you've been meaning to do anyway, and think of how good you'll feel, and whom do you call, Paul? Well, um, you can call us at the Chicago Furniture Bank, (laughs) Um, but the best thing to do is go to our website. Uh Our website, uh, chicagofurniturebank.org, will give you uh, a place to be able to go in and set up a pickup. Mm-hmm. And we we can arrange that. You can always call us as well. And our number is 312-752-0211. And you can always call us and make arrangements. But the best thing to do is to go to our website. Okay. Again, it's chicagofurniturebank.org. And you can arrange a pickup. You can find out um, how the process works. What we typically do is we ask for a suggested donation. Um, when we come and pick it up, because we employ 60 people, we give everything away for free, but we need to pay our guys. We need to pay for the cost of the trucks that are going out. Um, so we ask for a suggested donation. Most people, because they know what we do, are happy to pay that donation. It's tax deductible. So we'll give you a tax uh, receipt as well for the pickup and for the furniture you give us. Um, so, the, the, you know, there, there's but a financial. If, but if you can't, if you can't make a donation, like if you just don't have it, you wouldn't embarrass people by saying, where's your donation, would you? At all. And you're always able to drop stuff off at our warehouse for free. Um, that's not a problem at all. Um, but we, we also pick up donations for free. So. 
what if you just have like one dresser, one desk, a small like you're not you're not getting rid of your whole household full of stuff. You just have a few things. Will you will you come out for that? Yep, and it's very typical. Ah, oh, good. And what about people who might want to organize an event through their community? Like, could could you do like bring all your stuff? I know you usually don't pick up, for example, bedding and kitchen things. But what if, let's say, a church or a synagogue or a mosque wanted to gather a whole bunch of household things? Would you send a truck out for like 20 kitchens worth of stuff and 20 bedrooms worth of stuff that you normally don't? pick up if you would you make that connection for them yeah absolutely and we do that a lot actually where uh, it's hard to have a furniture drive because you know, you're lugging you have to haul to your a, furniture uh, yeah you can't do that <laughs> exactly right so we, we don't do a lot of that but we do do kitchenware drives with frequency and various churches schools etc they will host one and ask people to bring all their kitchenwares to a uh, parking lot wherever that may be and then we drive one of our trucks out to uh, go and collect it all. I did not know that. See, this is good yeah. to have you around to learn all these things. What else should I be asking you that I haven't asked you yet that you're just dying to tell people how they <laughs> can help or do things or what you're doing? What What else should I ask you? Well, I, I think that the need is never ending. So the demand, you know, if, if you're a business person, you're looking at supply and demand, the demand is always there and we're just hurting on supply. If we could get more things, we can help more people. Our capacity to help people is pretty much unlimited uh, in terms of us being able to make deliveries and, and to give people things. We're only hampered by the supply and the limitations that we get in because we can only give in what we get. So, you know, if, if we can get more things, we can serve more people. And that's always our goal. You did mention that you were doing things with schools. And I just wanted to note that one of the more annoying things as a parent when I sent my kid off to university was the the funky extra long mattress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you were, I don't know if you have kids who went to college. I'm like, yeah, what, what the heck is this extra long mattress? And it's, I guess it's so your six foot four basketball playing kid, son or daughter can, can have a bed. They're not hanging off the end of, but is, is that what you're seeing for the bunk beds that you're getting? You mentioned schools. And if that's the case, maybe, um, People should think about getting rid of those extra long linens that your kids came home from school with when they moved into an apartment and you're never going to need them again. Is is that what you're distributing to people, those basketball player length bunk beds? Yeah, so that's kind of our bread and butter, uh, if, 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 if you can believe it. So we'll collect, uh, and this is going to happen this spring, where we're going to, we have a campaign where we go out to all the universities around the country and just say, listen, if you're going to decommission your, your uh, student housing, we want that furniture. And we want you to deliver it to us. Again, it's cheaper to deliver it to us than it is to put in a landfill. So we want to get that. And so last year, we probably got close to fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars I'm sorry, fourteen or 15000 Twin XL mattresses is what they're called, those big blue Twin yep. XL yep, yep, basketball yep. player mattresses yep. that you talk about. Yep. We probably got that many. We're down to about 1000 right now because we've given so many away. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll replenish ourselves come this spring with, a, with a, you know, again, tens of thousands, hopefully. Um, but that is what we give away in droves. Um, so every week we're probably giving 150 to 200 mattresses away. So I need to tell the kidlet 
when he comes home from school because he no longer, he's in an apartment with a bunch of people and he doesn't have one of those extra long twin mattresses to bring all that stuff back home so I can drop it off for you so that those folks who pick up those mattresses actually have some linens to give out with them because I'm guessing you have a shortage of those. Yeah, and we don't give away linens as much as we do just the furniture. Um, you know, we, we do collect linens and we, we, we do give them away. Uh, and we typically partner with another agency that it deals with furniture, I'm sorry, deals with clothing and sheets and all of those types of things. We typically are just involved in giving furniture. Ah. That's kind of our bread and butter. Because that's um, what I dropped off. I dropped off, the, ki- the kids are grown, the beds are bigger. I think I dropped off like eight sets of twin bed mat, um, mm-hmm. linens and because we didn't need them anymore for all the kids. But you wouldn't mind distributing uh, the linens with the, the bed, with the beds if you had them, right? Right. Not at all. Okay. At all right. All. So I think what we've learned here is that there are a zillion ways. You redo your office, call the Chicago Furniture Bank. You redo your waiting room for a group office, you call the Chicago Furniture Bank. You have a basement that you've been meaning to get to in your New Year's resolution is that you clear the darn thing out. You call the Chicago Furniture Bank. You repurpose the kid's bedroom into your office or a TV room. You call the Chicago Furniture Bank. I think I'm covering it here. Is that about right? Oh, oh, oh. The man cave. The man cave. You got a divorce. You want to get rid of the man cave. You call the Chicago Furniture Bank. Who else? Have I, am I covering it all pretty well here? For You own a hotel. You own a motel. You own an Airbnb. Uh, you never did figure out how to put your Ikea stuff together. Um, I think this is almost everything. I think we've got it. Yeah. Right? Yes. Right. I, lo- I love the call the Chicago Furniture Bank. There you go. You call them or you go online. And that's chicagofurniturebank.org. Right? Org. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and if you need me to spell it for you, I can't because I can't spell it all. But, <laughs> I, no, I could. I could do that. So, okay, we're good. Paul, you've been awesome. Thank you for putting this all together literally and figuratively for WCPT. I look forward to finding my way to you soon. Put up a sign. Please put up a sign. And um, we'll see you with more stuff. And, and I hope that all the WCPT folks will do the same. Um, and then we'll talk to you again later to see how you're doing. And thanks again for all this great work that you do. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. It was my pleasure. Thank you for your time. That's Paul DeBoer. He is in charge of the Chicago Furniture Bank. He's their executive director. And again, I've given you a million ways. Don't just sit around and say, well, I don't think I can do. Because there's something you can do. And it will help you to get that crap out of your basement. Of course it will. WCPT, I'm Tory Ryder. In for Edwin Eisendraft. Listening to The Big Picture with Edwin Eisendraft on WCPT 820. Three minutes after two o'clock, I am Tori, rider like the truck, in for Edwin, Henry at the controls. Julia Shu helped put the show together today. We're grateful for her help as well, and I hope she's not listening because this is supposed to be her winter vacation. You know, Christmas vacation, call in the Jews. That's what we do. Um... I don't know about Henry, but that's it's always where I'd made my time and a half. Not here. That just it's time. It's time. Just plain time. But I will say, I'll just tell you a 
little story about if you want to know, by the way, who's who's on your radio station at Christmas. It's us. Doesn't matter if your last name is like St. Mark's or something. It's just just telling you that's who volunteers. Why? Because we take other holidays off. Typically. Although I worked once. I worked once. This is a story I don't tell very often, but I worked. The guy is dead now, so I guess I can really tell it. I worked with this truly right-wing talk show host. He was, he was, I can say this honestly, this guy was actually a pig. He really was. He'd been in big trouble uh, for operating a business in Seattle um, that, that fleeced immigrant workers. Wage theft. He'd been convicted of wage theft for running a janitorial business that took advantage of immigrant labor. And uh, he was just a bad guy. And I don't say that very often. I mean, people have different political views, but this is just a bad guy. And he came up to me. I was on the air in Portland, and he said, and he had one of these little smarmy voices. He said, what is it with you people? You want all your holidays off and our holidays off, too. And I said, well, actually, I just offered to work double or triple shifts this Christmas so that people who have Christmas can have their holidays off. But you know what? I'm going to let Steve know that I'm not willing to work your shift. I'm not kidding. He actually, you people. Yep. They're out there. So someone who is is working full full on full time practically because nature needs people all the time daniela herrera is the vice president of community conservation at open lands and uh, she has been uh, working as the regional forester and one of the things that has made an impression on her and perhaps on you is the number of trees that chicago plants that just don't make it why is that happening? Daniela, welcome. You're on WCPT. Glad we could have you. Thank you for having me. Well, I, I already told the folks um, last hour about my first experience with a short-lived Chicago street tree. Um, but what have you noticed as, as an organization, as individuals? What is happening with Chicago street trees, the new ones? Well, the new ones are being planted by the city's contractor. And so part of that uh, warranty that the contractors have to abide by is to make sure that the trees are still alive two years after they are planted. Um, There's no requirements in uh, the contract that discuss how those trees are cared for during that time. But at year two, if those trees are dead, um, or even some time before that, then the contractor would have to replant uh, an entire tree um, to make sure that that one is alive. Huh. However, yes. <laughs> there's, there's another thing. Yes. However, if they're replanting a new tree, it does not get covered by a warranty. And so uh, pretty much they can wipe their hands clean of it and hope that it rains enough to, 
to make sure that tree survives. Wow. Now, when we got, I, I will tell you, I'm going to confess a bad thing to you. I, I'm still <laughs> upset about it. Um, mm-hmm. We we have a little place in Portage Park, and there was a sewer main break a couple of winters ago. And we had one of the reasons yeah. I bought the place. It had a beautiful linden tree in front of it, just gorgeous. And mm-hmm. the street uh, was flooded, and it was iced, and the city came and to dig everybody out, they dropped a bunch of salt on the frozen um, street, and they yeah. left a pile of it on our front. Um, right away and I thought well they're surely not going to leave that big pile of salt and because we don't live in that little place it's it's rented to some folks we know we we just kind of assumed and of course if you don't sit on the city like a chicken on an egg they don't do anything and so it killed our beautiful linden tree and I felt I still feel an amazing amount of shame about it but I got a hold of the city. I said, what do I have to do? I want a new tree. I will take care of it. I'm, I will drive to, to it and, and love on it and do whatever else is needed. And they told me, you know, you have to let the salt wash out and flood the thing and make sure this. And they planted a tree. And then they said, and you're in charge of watering it and taking care of it. And you're really going to have to do that regularly for two to three years. And I said, mm-hmm. great, sure, of course. And, and we have and we do and it's doing all right. But do most people who get street trees, are? it seems like a lot of them go on um, business ways and there's nobody who seems to have been deputized to look after them at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of education that really needs to go hand in hand uh, with the, our Roots Chicago program that the city has um, to inform people that, you know, like if you see a, a tree, it's a, it's a drought day, it, it's looking like its leaves are lint, please, you know, go and water it. Um, but because that information isn't getting out to everybody, especially business owners on um, some major thoroughfares, those trees are really struggling. And it would be wonderful, similar to how they do it in New York, that the contractors are actually required to water trees for those first two years. You would think, I mean, they have to water those fancy flower planters. I see them going around with trucks. You know, I live in Uptown and they come around and they, they spray those flower planters. What? Why is the city not requiring um, the same thing with new street trees? Do you know? You know, it could be a cost issue. You know, actually doing a lot of the watering on street trees is extremely costly, and that wasn't part of the requirement for the contract. So, you know, unless there is a drought and the head of the Bureau of Forestry uh, deems that there's a drought, um, no one needs to really water trees and no one's pushed to water trees. And so, you know, we hope that most trees are getting enough water based on rain, but that's not always true in certain areas where there's a lot of concrete around it, a lot of asphalt around it. Like you think about trees sometimes on like Ashland Avenue, you know, like they're, they are in a really stressful condition um, because of everything else going on from like the pollutants coming out of cars to salt on roads. And if no one is caring for it, you know, then they're going to have to replant these trees again. And, you know, that's costly for the city and the city gets their money from us through taxes. So, Take care of it right the first time. Now, um, 
when is this contract up with the street tree planter? Because it would seem to me that the obvious thing is to say we're only accepting contracts where you agree to water these trees for two years and see that they're healthy instead of just saying, hey, we'll replace it once. Because, I mean, doesn't that seem like the logical thing to, to make sure that that's part of the bid? <laughs> It, it, it that sounds correct. <laughs> you know, there was a, there was a lot of differences this year, um, this last year when the contract. I'm sorry, it was probably two years ago now that the contract um, was bid upon. Um, in the past, it was just you know like who could plant all the trees in the city was the the way that it moved forward. Uh-huh. And this time, they divided up the contract into four different areas in Chicago. Huh. Unfortunately, <laughs> that still meant the lowest bidder won and the lowest bidder bid on all four. And so it is, you know, still uh, the oh, same. Oh, man. So it's, ha- <laughs> it's back to one company again, huh? It's back to one company. And, you know, this was a really, it, it was a good move in the right direction, trying to engage more small businesses, because really that requirement of having more small businesses be able to bid on contracts like this is great. So hopefully the next step that they'll take is, you know, being able to change up that bidding process so that one company can't take all four of these quadrants. Yeah, that would make sense. Yes. What about, it seems to me sometimes that they are planting trees where no sensible person would plant them. Is that true? Uh, I I I don't know. Um, I I think that trees, uh, if they are on parkways, uh, are great. If they are in on um, uh, greenways and parks, I think everything is fine. They are pretty good. At least our city foresters are really good about marking the sites and um, making sure that trees can live and survive in those areas. Um, so no, I would I would say I haven't seen it. I'm thinking Maybe more in terms. <laughs> I'm thinking more in terms of like they plant the tree where there's clearly not enough space around the tree for for water to water the tree. It's like got a foot clearance of sidewalk on each side of it practically, and yep. you just look at this and go, now how the heck is this tree supposed to make it? Or or have the foresters determined that yes, it could. Well, trees will not grow to their capacity if they are in a smaller area that doesn't have enough soil volume. So one of the cool things that's going to happen this next year with the Chicago Urban Forestry Advisory Board and a bunch of the city agencies is to um, re-look at the Chicago our ordinances, our landscape ordinance, which has not been changed up since the early 90s. Wow. And with this, you know, there are all these new ways uh, to even talk about climate change within, you know, the landscape ordinance would be huge. So there are some new practices people have found, you know, like that will make trees healthier. If trees can grow to its full extent, they are healthier, less stressed out. When you have stressed trees, they bring in more insects and diseases. Um, And so hopefully we'll be able to change things and advise them enough on how to make sure that we're not just stuck with planting in what they call tree pits or like pretty much like a small bathtub with 
small trees. Yes. It'll never make it. You yes. Know? Or they put that big metal thing around it, and you're like, well, how big do you think this trunk is supposed to get? Because this opening yeah. is too small. Um, and, and then I have my other... Um, pet peeve about the way that the cities are managing their trees. They do work on the road or they do work on the sewer or they do work on the electrical cables underneath and they expose Mm -hmm. the tree roots. There's one around the corner from me. I I have personally gone and dumped mulch on it, but I must have called the city's 311 program like eight times to just please come out and undo the damage that you did. How long... I mean, how how long can a tree last with a whole bunch of its roots exposed? And can you save it if the city comes and cuts back the branches? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is a this is a whole other conversation. But I'm happy to like give you some ideas around that. So there are protections for trees in Chicago around construction. But there are not enough inspectors to go around and actually see that the work is getting done, that trees are being protected with fencing and um, that, you know, roots can be, like, cut um, but not shredded. And so a lot of times when you're driving around the city, you're seeing all these really poor practices happening that will eventually um, make that tree, you know, suffer in some way and probably not live to its fullest extent. Okay, who's so, the person? Who yeah. Who's the ghost buster for this? <laughs> um, you know, one of the really great things that happened a few years ago is that um, a few different aldermen led on creating the Chicago um, Urban Forestry Advisory Board. So this board has met for its first time to last um uh, its first three meetings this last year. Next year, we'll have quarterly meetings. But every month, when there is no um, uh, quarterly meeting, they will invite any advocates, tree keepers, um, interested people to learn more about how to change things around education and inform those business owners on, hey, you, you get a bucket of water, come and water your tree once a week. This buckets of uh, uh, water. You know, um, there's going to be a policy committee really talking about how do we make the changes so that maybe somebody doesn't get all the bids next time we put out a bid for tree planting. So but how, can they make suggest, can they make the city come and undo the damage that it does when it digs or or re I mean even if you you lobby the city you want a new curb or you want a new sidewalk and while they're at it mm-hmm. they kill your tree. Um, who yeah thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, who so this this urban forestry advisory board how would someone reach them? Yeah, so the, all the meetings are open to the public. Um, they are able to come into those meetings um, when the entire forestry board is there, but also like on a monthly, I believe it's the first Thursday of every month, it will be on the Chicago City of Chicago's Bureau of Forestry website. The, the meeting dates all for next year have been picked out. Um, and that would be the best place to vocalize any kind of ideas, um, uh, upsets, you know, things that okay, you might Okay, all right. Change. Hold up a sec. Yeah. So, so you're telling me that if I go to the city of Chicago's website, which is notoriously out of date in a lot of places, <laughs> and all I do is do, if I even Google city of Chicago mm-hmm. urban forestry advisory board, the schedule of their meetings will come up? 
Yes. And the, so, and the people on it, the, the advisors will come up, the alders and the rest of it, and I can find out, you could find out yes. all of that? Okay. And I'm actually one of the people on that board. Good. All right. Well, we may yes. all come and knock on your door because it seems like you actually give a rat's patootie <laughs> about these trees. Would you say that everybody on this board actually cares about trees or are some people like, yeah, all right, fine, I'll do that? No, I, I would say that every single person cares about trees. And not only do they care about trees, but they have been so open and welcoming of people, the public, coming in and actually, you know, talking about inoculating ash trees and protecting trees and making sure trees get watered. I mean, like, they're really listening. And to me, you know, after this last meeting we had in December, people were saying from the board, like, this is really great. This is supposed to be how government works. And I was like, yeah, I totally Well, that's agree. exciting yeah. to hear. It I have is. another street it tree is. question for you. Yes, if please. you have a street tree and it's on, as you pointed out, like an Ashland Avenue or a Western Avenue, and you notice that the leaves are just covered with exhaust, what, what can you do if you're a short person? If they're covered with exhaust, I mean, you mean that they have like soot on them? Yes, soot, exactly. Hmm. Well, most of the time, we, we don't tend to see soot coming on them. A lot of the black um, mold that you see on them are from actually aphids. Oh. <laughs> they would eat like the sugar in uh, leaves, and uh, what they poop out is called honeydew. And that honeydew creates... Uh, um, attracts a mold called a black mold, which then it looks like there's soot on that. Ah. So it, it's nothing unhealthy. The tree will be able to, you know, get over it. But it is unattractive to some people when your entire tree um, would be covered in that. I am glad that you explained that because in point of mm-hmm. fact, in front of our, I belong to a congregation and in front of the building, we got a street tree and we've been watering it, looking after it. And we all looked up one day and went, what the is on these <laughs> leaves? And none, none of us knew. So I'm guessing that you may be speaking to a lot of other folks who, you know, you plant your street tree and you water it faithfully. And one day you look up and go, what the? So mm-hmm. uh, now we know just leave it alone and it'll be okay. <laughs> But you know what? what? It, is, it is awesome that people are looking at trees, that they're taking care of their trees, because really that's, that's going to be about the survival of the tree is really connecting the people who live close to it. If you see something that you're you know, thinking that the, this tree is dying or there's something wrong with it, you can always call 311. And one of the last things that we discussed on the Urban Forestry Advisory Board was to create um, on their drop-down menu, instead of just removing this tree or um, calling to get a new tree, that you could ask for an inspection. Yeah, I and would so really like to say, at, at, from, from personal experience, that is a total disaster. I, I, I mean, really, <laughs> literally eight years, some people in my community have been trying to get the city to come back and cover up the roots of numerous trees that were exposed mm-hmm. when they did whatever they did. That, don't even get me started. They repave the road. They dig up the road. They repave the road. They, and meanwhile, the trees are like, ah! so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I'm, I would love the, I would love, I love the idea of 311. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah no. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's all somehow magically in the last six months 
turned over, you should pardon the expression, a new leaf, but I haven't noticed that. So, okay. Well, well yes. yes. Go ahead. I, I was going to just mention that, you know, that the city does have this program that started under the last Mayor, Mayor Lightfoot, you know, to plant 75,000 street trees in yes. the city of Chicago. We I talked to them about to. that. We talked to the yeah. arborist about choosing your tree. But if, if you're true. in the position of watching it die, it's an awful feeling. Even if you're running out there with your buckets of water, it's an awful feeling. So mm-hmm. it's it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to yeah, and, take. And, and, you know, and, and trees die for different reasons, too. You know, it's not all just because that they aren't being maintained. Sometimes the nursery stock maybe wasn't good or maybe something was nicked or damaged, you know, in in when they were planting it. And so... We we accept, I think, as foresters that a certain percentage of trees aren't going to make it. But the you know ones that can will always make it. The more love that they get from anyone who's close by it and advocates for it. Good and and that and when I got into the big fight with my non English speaking Russian howling neighbors about their kids who came out of their house and just used it as a jungle gym and killed it. That that's that. What do you? Is there a law against abusing a street tree? Well, climbing trees, you know, like... I I don't mean climbing trees. I mean this tree is put in and like three weeks later, these kids are hanging on it. And I mean, the tree can't. It's a little teeny thing. Yeah. 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 What do you... Is there anything to protect them from people who want to do bad things to them? (laughs) Well, you know, certain fencing put around trees is great. It's harder to do um, fencing on parkways. Um but, you know, like having people, if you could, if people see you out there caring for the tree, hopefully that means that they'll respect it a little bit more. Uh, but unfortunately, any trees that get damaged before their warranty is done um, will not technically get replaced by warranty, uh. So, um, which is a bummer. Uh, I hear you. But um, I think just teaching you know, people and kids really early on about nature and connecting them to it and why it's so important. I think those types of, like, educational experiences outside will be really, really great for people. And I will I will just put in this uh, item, open lands, we do tree walks all over the city of Chicago. Um, probably almost every month there's a tree walk that we do um, in both Spanish and in English in many places. And we get to look at street trees in your neighborhood. So if you have a specific neighborhood and you would like to go and look at your trees together with one of our arborists, please let us know and we could always set something up too. That is cool. And they can reach you Mm -hmm. at um, openlands.org, right? Openlands.org? That's correct. Now I have a last, I have a last and rather rude question, but I feel it is necessary. (laughs) Okay. All right. Dog pee. How bad for a new tree is dog pee? I mean, you were just talking about the snow salt uh, that, you know, and, and the icer. Is it better or worse for the tree than ice, uh, salt and ice tree is well, dog pee? Urine, urine has a lot of salt in it, so you can't just have dog pee. I know there are some people who are totally against it. My thing is, like, if there's a lot of dog peeing on your tree, just make sure you water it more. If you dissolve um, some of that water or, you know, have more regular water than salts there, your tree will get 
you know, watered properly then. Okay, so if your neighborhood dogs love your tree, do not flip mm-hmm. out. Just run mm-hmm. out there with a bucket, hopefully when the dog walker and the dog are not there so you don't accidentally get them, <laughs> and just dump the bo- bucket of water. And so neighbors do not flip out if the dog yeah. pees on the... Just keep your cool, just take a deep breath and a bucket of water and everything should be fine. I Yes, definitely. Oh, that, that is I say this so, with my own dog, too. <laughs> I have a German Shepherd that's a lot of pee. So, and I feel kind of bad because people put up these signs like, keep your dog. And I'm like, oh, really? Come on. Seriously? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm glad yep. you could answer that question. Now, I have it right from an expert. The dog pee will not hurt your tree. So, there. And as they would say in The Wizard of Oz, and your little dog, too. So, Thank you so much for being with us, Daniela. I appreciate all that you do, and we'll be keeping in touch. Thanks a lot for being on WCPT. Thank you. you. That's Daniela Perriera. She's Vice President of Community Conservation at Open Lands. And if you learn nothing else, you can calm down about the dog pee now. I'm Turi Ryder in for Edwin Eisendrath. Guess who's next? I will not actually make you guess. I won't. Next, you get to figure out... uh, where to take the kids to hear some serious jazz or some fun jazz. It's 228. You're listening to The Big Picture with Edwin Eisentraff on WCPT 820. 2.30. I am Tori Ryder in for Edwin Eisendrath. As promised you, a half an hour from now where you're going to be able to take the kids to hear some jazz. But as I also promised you, as I promised you at the beginning of the show, the most, in my opinion, I, and, and there have been some good Christmas parody songs, but one of the one of the best that I have heard or seen uh, showed up on my Facebook feed. It's on YouTube. You can find it. Um, it was put together by a team of women who created a musical called Mother Freaking Hood. And one of the co-creators is joining us now. Her name is Sarah Stotts. Um, she has another life in, in the real world. But this mother freaking hood that you put together, let's talk a little bit about that before we play your song, Sarah. Welcome to WCPT. Hi, Tori. Thank you so much for having me. I am delighted to have this opportunity because a friend of a friend uh, linked to your piece on YouTube, which has great video, too, but just the song of itself was was hilarious. And we'll play it. Why don't we play that first and then we can talk about it and the whole mother freaking hood thing. Would that be okay with you? That uh, uh, sounds like fun. Okay, here it goes. It's two minutes of fabulosity. Uh, does it have a title? I don't even know. Wrapping Around the Christmas Tree. It's a parody from Rocking Around the Christmas Tree, uh, but um, Mother Freaking Hood style. Yes, Mother Freaking Hood, Wrapping Around the Christmas Tree. And and um, the one visual that you need to know ahead of time is when they're missing a 9-volt battery, they pull it out of the smoke alarm, and that was where I just lost it. Okay, here we go. <laughs> The halls with boughs of holly Wrapping around the Christmas tree On another holiday Gotta set the kitchenette Before dawn breaks away Rapunzel's tower took an hour And the drone may never fly Cookies and milk were gone by ten And the bottle of Jack is dry you make it 
Christmas and that cracked me up and I, I don't I don't even do Christmas so uh, <laughs> well, well now now you really aren't going to well, I, <laughs> I used to be known as the Christmas Jew at my girlfriend's house and my the, my job was to keep the kids out of her way while she did all this stuff so um, and and my and my payoff was this always a fabulous pie she would like send a pie home with me which was an incredible payment as far as I was concerned. So tell me about Mother Freaking Hood and you guys can both sing, which is very cool. And and how well, you put it together and who shot it and just tell me more about the this motherhood thing is not all it's exactly wrapped up to be. No, it's extremely absurd as the video uh, implies. So in the video, I need to get a shout out to Angela Schaefer, who is not my co-writer, but she is our music producer Danny Schaefer's wife who is lovely and so um, uh, she did the video with me Julie my my co-writer of the musical Julie Dunlap my lovely Julie and I uh, did the parody of the song and uh, Angie was nice enough to sing it and perform it with me Uh, and her husband Danny did the engineering of the music and Bill O'Neill who is a local uh, um, director and uh, videographer, a video for us. He does a ton of commercials in the Chicago area. It's really well done. Video work. I, it's totally yeah. well done. I mean, you got you, you. Everything works on that video. But but tell me about the inspiration and the show and what you're doing next. And I mean, mostly what I'm fascinated by is this growing movement to say out loud. I, I let me back up and say I think this all started with the what to expect when you're expecting, which is the the thing like they don't tell you about the hemorrhoids. And I think from there, (laughs) it's grown to a whole movement of, you know, and here's another thing they don't tell you. Um, I think that should be the the next uh, song that I wrote, right, is um, Julie and I write is called They Don't Tell You About the Hemorrhoids. Yeah, no, they They don't. They don't tell you about the hemorrhoids. No, they don't. (laughs) They don't tell you that all the hair shows up where it shouldn't and all the hair that used to have disappears where it was and I mean there's a whole I have friends who are warning me I have friends who say to me just wait till this happens you're like what nobody told me that was going to happen so you're in to me when I saw your video of wrapping around the Christmas tree it it fed into that this is what it really is and I think um, that 
people, the, the mothers need the support and the kids need to be um, metaphorically slapped around a little bit. Like, this is what goes into making your fantastic holiday. And by golly, you better appreciate it. And do not show up and ask me for what, whatever one more thing you think you need to have because as far as I'm concerned, this is enough. But what, but yeah. what about from your perspective? Where, where did this all come from? Well, so I had a um, significant birthday. Let's just call it a significant birthday. Um, it starts with a four and a zero. And I had a p- party um, to celebrate uh, the the turning. And um, uh, Julie, my, my BF from college, attended. And for the party, I had some of my Second City friends perform. Uh, they had a, a band at the time, and they they wrote funny songs, and they were just just genuinely funny. And um, had a great time at the party. And then a few days later, Julie called me, and she says, "Sarah, Sarah, we can write funny songs about motherhood. I mean, the, there's so much material that we could write." And I thought she was still drunk. <laughs> I was like, "What? Well, that's ridiculous." She had four kids at the time. I have five. Uh, sorry, I have two. I have five. Oh my god, I'm counting kids. I don't have. Um, I had two, and I'm well, like, you know, maybe, maybe a few showed up, but you weren't while you weren't looking while you were busy writing the songs. No. And I, I say, and I, by the way, if it gets you more sympathy, you're entitled to count other people's children. Keep going. <laughs> Sometimes you feel like it. but And I thought it was absurd, but um, all of a sudden, the songs just started coming out of me. I mean, they just started coming out when I was brushing my teeth, you know. And so I called her and I said, Julie, I said, are you serious about, you know, just writing songs about that motherhood? She says, yeah, I've written three. I said, well, I've written two. And or maybe I had written three at the time. I can't remember, but that's where that's where it began. And this was in 2011. And it just as as we started writing more songs, we're like, this is really these songs are really coming from three different perspectives. They're coming from a new mother, an experienced mother, and they're coming from a mother who thought she was done. And so then we started developing these characters to reflect that. We've got Angie, who's a first time mom. Sorry, Rachel, who's a first-time mom, and she's so excited to be a mother because she just doesn't know yet. <laughs> she's getting into what you said. She doesn't know about the hemorrhoids. And then um, then you've got Angie, who has a kid, and she's planned on her second kid. And, of course, it's going to be a boy because she already has a girl because everything works for Angie. Oh, boy. And then you have Marsha. Yeah, you have Marsha, who... She thought she was done. She thought she was menopausal, but no, that wasn't menopause. That was a baby. So um, she she's like, oh my god, what what am I going to do with a fourth child? You have to get saying, your crib back. You have to go find you who you gave your crib to and get it back. Give me back my crib. Yeah. <laughs> Repossessing it. It's bad. I, you know, I, there's a whole piece, and I don't I don't always talk about my book, but um, there's a big section in my book about why I put it studio in my house and it was because I didn't want to keep moving around the country when I decided to to become a mom but I'm I'm with you on the fact that nobody tells you anything and half the stuff they tell you is wrong and there's always that one mother who seems to have no problems and you really just sort of (laughs) want to plant a camera in her house to see because that cannot possibly be true she's either high or she's lying (laughs) or she's married to one of these people
people who's on the Forbes 10 most. And then I think about that poor woman who had a kid with Elon Musk, and I think she's living in a miniature house at the end of a runway, and her life's not going so great either. So none of it. None of it is what they tell you. So, okay, I interrupted, but you, you put together this show, Mother Freaking Hood, and what happened next? Uh, so we developed it over many years. Uh, we uh, initially put it up in Lawrence, Kansas, and did a test run there, and I got oh, to play the role of Marcia. Have, have I, I mentioned that I'm from Manhattan, Kansas? Was my, oh, rock on. My grandmother yeah, we called love it Manhattan. the wrong Manhattan, my grandmother called it. <laughs> Yes, uh, my niece Carolyn is going to K State right now. So purple uh, pride, this, baby. Okay, yeah, so go KU ahead. Girl has yes. to like it. Um, so, um, so Julie Dunlap, my co-writer, got to direct it there, and um, it was great throwing it up on its feet and seeing seeing what landed. And then from there, we got picked up by a production company to produce it, uh, and they produced it in Kansas City in um, 2015, and so we had a full-blown production in Kansas City. Then from there, we did more rewrites, and we got accepted into the New York Musical Festival in 2017, which is a huge honor, because hundreds of people submit, and only, I think, 18 got in. Wow. And we were one of them. We're looking at each other like, do they do they, do they know? Have they seen, <laughs> they have they seen they, the show? They, have they actually old, seen the show? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but are these old bags from Kansas? Yeah. <laughs> Do they really want us like, getting off that plane? Um, so, um, and so that was a great learning experience because that's all about taking these developmental um, musicals and helping them develop. So we got a New York, we got a run um, in New York City, and then um, we had slated for a show in Chicago, but a, a, a musical called The Pandemic opened in uh, 2020. Mm. I don't know if you saw that. It yeah. Was, um, well, I, did, yeah. I I watched it on Zoom. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I saw I saw that musical on Zoom, like everything else. Uh, yeah. Although with a studio in my house, I have to say I cannot complain because it was just more of the same to me. Um, except I yes. kept I kept trying to figure out ways I could commit elaborate crimes since everybody was wearing a mask. I figured this was my great opportunity, but I I never did actually carry any of them out. So you were oh, well. There's still time. Yeah, there is actually, and the masks are coming back again. So yes, tell lovely. me, um, you were interrupted by the pandemic, and now. Uh, uh-huh. A live theater is back in Chicago. So, yeah. so we actually did a run in Chicago. Um, finally got it, got it here in Chicago. Um, May through June at the Venus Cabaret Theater at the Mercury Theater in Chicago. And it went phenomenally. Um, we got four, a three and a half star review from Chris Jones, who um, he's the he's the guy. Like, I mean, we had great reviews from other wonderful people, too, but um, it, it, it just really solidified kind of our, um, you know, our, our validity of being a, a good, good theater production. So um, that, you know, so that felt great. And then, then we uh, just did a short run in Lawrence, Kansas again, and we're looking uh, for a future run. Oh, good. Okay, so I, if people are just joining us, you're hearing Sarah Stotts. She's one of the creators of Mother Freaking Hood. Um, and what 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 do you call yourselves as an entity now? 
Uh, Mother Freaking Hood, the musical. Okay. The musical comedy. Mother Freaking Hood, the musical comedy. And Uh do the components change uh, since you, it's been a while since you put the first one up? Have you evolved? Have you incorporated anything new, novel, any of that? Like, you know, Fitbits, for example, which is a thing that if one more, (laughs) if one more mommy shows me her flipping Fitbit, I, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I get it. You're fit. I'm not. Right. I'm rubbing it in. Yeah. Um, yes, we have. This thing has been rewritten and rewritten. Every time we put the show up, we opened it up for um, for critique from everybody, from the actors, from the directors. Our wonderful uh, director Heidi Van, who is now our our director for life, because um, we are so blessed to have her. She had so much uh, that she brought to the table as far as rewrites and um, and things of that nature. But we have to be careful about putting those things in, like the Fitbits, because that's going to be irrelevant in a year. My my darling Julie wrote a, a beautiful song about uh, stalking old boys and friends on Facebook. It was hilarious, and it was all about social media. But in about a year, that song kind of outdated itself because the social media had changed so much. So we had to scrap that whole song. Uh, because it needs the, the the show needs to be relevant for now, and be relevant for five years from now. So, oh, you um, can't just was, re-edit it every time there's a new technology that lets you stalk your old boyfriend. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We actually wrote uh, a song called "Don't Instagram Your Clam." Uh, huh. <laughs> it was a good one, but but that also Instagram. Um, you know that's. Well, the, the face of Instagram will be changing in five years. So anyway, so yeah, so we have re- written this and rewritten this. And the way that it is today, we're hoping uh, we don't have to make any of those changes. Um, because every time you rewrite something, uh, the, the, the script has to change. The score has to change. I mean, it's just, it's a lot. <laughs> so do, well, it is a lot, but that's why they pay you the big bucks, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah I'm of, rolling in the dough. Uh, of course. <laughs> so I know you have a day job. I know you're not quitting your day job. Uh, oh. What what would, um, so are you envisioning that this is a thing that could be performed by different people in different cities in the same way that Broadway sends touring companies out? Or uh, what yeah. are you hoping? And that's my first question before I forget it, because I, even though my kids are in their 20s, I still have mommy brain. So. That's one question. And the other question is, um, see, this is what happens. I forget my other question. Oh, I know what it was. Um, <laughs> no, I don't. Tell me where, where where you imagine this going. Oh, I know what the other question was. What do you hear back from the moms and what do you hear back from the dads? What is the feedback oh, like exactly. for you? Yeah. Yeah. First of all, yes, we want this to be producible in any theater um, anywhere. Um, And what I really see is this could be the go to show that you take your mom on 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 Mother's Day or you take your daughter or you take your grandmother. Don't you take your husband or boyfriend or whoever. This is um, this is really a show for everybody. But yes, this is we have made this producible for theaters everywhere. Um, And um, and it is. And everybody show. We have people coming, um, uh, men and women, who relate to this. We have p- people relate to this who don't have kids because it's just about 
the absurdity of life, really. Well, and, and they were kids. Through the story. I mean, they were kids, and I'm mm-hmm. sure they had and, a parent uh-huh. who looked at them and said, I mean, everybody. I, I still had people, after my book came out, I had people coming up going, I had to go to one of those birthing groups with my friend, and I'm not even a parent, but my friend didn't have anybody to go because her <laughs> partner refused to go, so I went to the birthing group. So, yeah, yeah. that's true. Everybody <laughs> knows somebody. Yes, you're right. Yeah, and so it, it has been well received uh, by everyone, and, and, and Julie and I really worked hard to make sure that um, it is universal and that we honor the men who made us mothers. You know, um, ah, we don't forget wanna... that. I'm not honoring them. I'm just saying. <laughs> No, not without jewelry. No, Mm-mm, sorry. Uh, tell me, tell me what are some of the other songs about? Because we obviously just played the Christmas themed one because that's how you came to be here. But what are what are some of the other uh, mother freaking hood um, challenges that you uh, solve with music in the show? <laughs> well, one of the, the first one that comes to mind is the, the song called "Move the Line," which also started as a music video that we made. Um, you can find that on our website as well, motherfreakinghood.com. And it's all about uh, sitting in that car, the, the drop-off line. That's where we spend a good amount of our, our lives as mothers or parents, you know, picking up and dropping off. And um, that song was so popular that we ended up incorporating it into the show. Uh, and that one gets that everyone can relate to that. And um, uh, so that one comes to mind as one that people have said, oh, my God, I, this one. Can, I, can, I, I, can I put up sing. my hand? Can I put up my hand and object just a little? When we moved from um, the Bay Area back to Chicago, and I grew up north of the city, but I, I especially chose the city because of public transit. And I gave oh. the kids a little speech, and I said, "The carpool stops here. <laughs> That's it. We're done with the carpool. If you can't ride your bike to it, or take the train or the bus to it, you're not going to it." Um, I don't know what I would have done if they'd been really little. I mean, they were in middle school, high school when we moved back. But I, I do think that um, there there is a price to pay for having the beautiful green green lawns of suburbia, and that's more time in in the mommy van. That that's my yeah, theory. But but yeah. that's true, and you figured it out, you know. But um, yeah, so and then another one that I think, well, people relate to all the songs, but uh, a song that I particularly like is called Pharmacology. Mm. And this is where we see Angie kind of um, discovering <laughs> she's, she doesn't have it all together. And this is stressful. And she doesn't have all the answers. And her kids need some help with, like, one of us has ADD. And she struggles with her kid is not perfect. Her other child has allergies that are out of control, and she herself is having panic attacks. Huh. And so she decides to try pharmacology, some Xanax, and so we get to see Mama Xanax come out and uh, and help Angie figure out, like, you know, pharmacology's not bad. It makes me normal. It's all good. And she does a little vaudevillian number um, in the style of Liza Minnelli, and it's just hilarious. And so we... Uh, we have fun with that one. <laughs> I think that I think you're doing wonders for um, for feminism. By the way, I think that that people need to people need to be willing to take what what will help them if it really will help them. I mean, I still remember horrifying. Oh, back to the birthing group again, where all the Berkeley mm-hmm. ladies were saying, you know, I, I want to play music, I want a water birth, and I horrified the whole group by saying, I'd like to know what drugs will be available and when I can take them. <laughs> 
you're Marsha. That's exactly what yeah. Marsha says in our show. I'll be taking drugs, please. Yes. She says that in the show. Yeah, I used to, I sang a little song, Glory, Glory, Epidural, to the tune of Glory, Hallelujah, <laughs> in the delivery room. So... Oh my gosh, I love that. Well, whatever <laughs> works. So, I mean, you know, you do yeah. learn, like to, to Marsha's point here, you do learn, and I say this as a feminist, um, I, I learned as a feminist why people break into cars and steal things, uh, because you you get the round of, of uh, anesthetic, anesthetic once, and you get the, the uh, pill twice, and then you're still in labor, and you say, I'd like another dose, please, and they say no, and, and you... And you understand why people break into cars and steal stereos because you say, what, what, no drug, what? So, um, yeah, and it's important for women. I think this whole feminist movement where everything's supposed to be perfect because we're all liberated now, um, musicals like yours basically um, are truth telling. And I think that's one of the reasons why I loved I loved the piece that I saw so much was that, I mean, when you're yanking the nine volt battery out of the smoke detector, so your kid's robot toy will go, you start to realize that, that it's, it's not all the way the toy commercials presented to you. Um, and not, nothing is the way it's been presented to you. So you're coming out of, yeah, the toy, yeah, (laughs) magically. So, okay. Um, you're, you're getting this together again. You're updating your material. What are some of the other topics? You've got the move the line. That's the mommy carpool drop off thing. What else? What else is covered? Well, uh, one of the songs, um, the mother is horrified to discover that her son who is in a robotics tournament who is supposed to use uh, find things from home to enter in the tournament. She's horrified to find out that he has used mommy's toy. Oh, the marital aid. The marital aid as her her massager. In, he is using her massager in the a robotics tournament. Oh, wow. And That's a good one. She's horrified because there's nothing she can do about it. She's insanely embarrassed, and she has no control over the situation. And so we see this. This, this is what happens in, in, in parenting: is these kids do these horribly embarrassing things, and they're like, "Well, that just happened, and I want to crawl into a hole." Yeah, but it's so re- it's so it. relatable. I mean, I I worked with a young woman who remembers that as a child, um, she found her mother's diaphragm and made it into a doll hat. And why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? It's the right shape. It's you can attach things to it. You can. Yeah, I mean, this is what it is to be uh, in the real world, and I think that 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 is um, it's important, and that's why I think that. I mean, and everybody needs to just kind of relax a little bit. About the, I got fired over a marital aid conversation one time. I had three male bosses and they hauled me in and they said, women don't want to talk about marital aids. And I said, well, all women are just your wives. So, oh, yeah, so good. Yeah, I could, I could hear my job disappearing as I left the meeting. (laughs) I have a tendency to do that. So, do you want to? 
Do you want to talk about any other part of of Mother Freaking Hood the musical with our minute and a half that we have left where they can look for you, where they can expect to find you soon or just go to the website or tell, tell me uh, about Yes, go to motherfreakinghood.com. We also are on Facebook at Mother Freaking Hood the musical and Instagram for for updates on where we will be playing next. Okay. And, um, and then you can see other videos that we've done on our YouTube. We've done uh, one about Zooming over Christmas. We did that in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And uh, that one I didn't accidentally fall into. T- that, the, the video that you watched me falling into the tree was 100% accidental. Really? <laughs> I, yeah. And the director, Bill O'Neill, comes up and goes, that was amazing, Sarah. Can you do that again? I'm like, I didn't mean to do it the first time. <laughs> I had no idea. It, it, yeah, that there, was. Someone got a lovely pedicure to step on a whole bunch of Legos. That was fun. Uh, yeah, that, uh, yeah, that and the breaking the princess tower that was accidental yeah that was a huge but it was funny <laughs> yeah i think i think a lot of motherhood really is sort of happenstance and and if they make it to 21 uh you've you've succeeded and if you have kids like that you look at and you think well they're either going to be entrepreneurs that were in prison by the time they're 30, I don't know which way it's going to go, um, then I think that a person could really relate to your show beautifully. So th- <laughs> thank you so much for, for being part of the show today. And w- I will continue to watch what you're doing. And I did notice that you said you had Second City training. So I is that just quickly? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Second City in the Annoys Theater did improv uh, for years. Uh, it was in a lot of shows at the Annoys Theater, especially. Well, so they yeah. were lucky to have you. I'm sure they're sad that you're not there, but I'm wishing you every success with Mother Freaking Hood, the musical. And um, we will have you back maybe when it's up and going in Chicago again, if you're willing. Oh, of course. That'd be great. Thank you so much for the support. I appreciate it. I um, appreciate you doing what you do. Thanks a lot. It's 258 Edwin Eisendrath's show. That was Sarah Stott. She is one of the two creators of Mother Freaking Hood, the musical. And you want to keep an eye open for that because... uh, because these are the tools we need to get by. That, that's why. We're live, local, and progressive. I'm Tori Ryder, in for Edwin. You're looking at the big picture with Edwin Eisentraff on WCPT 820. It's not. It's Edwin Eisentraff's show, but I'm Tori Ryder in for Edwin. Uh, in a moment, we're going to want to get some kind of note-taking device out. In a a moment so that you can figure out where you can hear some great jazz just by yourself or with a friend or maybe even with a family. That's coming up. Uh, I wanted to respond to some of the texts that have come in uh, and some of the very creative ways of spelling my name. I commend you all. Uh, It's T-U-R-I if you want to know. And you can find me uh, by Googling T-U-R-I-R-Y-D-E-R. That'll get you to the book and the podcast and the audio book and all that stuff. So... um, this came from uh, uh, the Chicago area. Governor Abbott is cruel and heartless. We were talking about the, the buses and planes in the last three days that have just been dumping actual live people all around the Chicago area. Um, and this one uh, from Andy, you can't blame the pilots or the bus drivers for transporting migrants here. It's not their job to figure out who's legal, who's not. I'm sorry, Andy. I disagree. I think when you, you can, you know, you know, 
If your instructions are to just find the closest place and dump people off your bus who don't understand even English instructions, you know. Maybe you can seize the bus or planes. Absolutely, we should. But really, it's Texas authorities who are to blame. Plenty of blame to shovel around. And yes, the feds are also to blame due to a Congress who have no use for, quote, close quote, others. About the Chicago Furniture Bank, do they help unhoused veterans? Yes, but they help them through their caseworkers. So... Yes, but the you wouldn't just go in there as a veteran. You go with your caseworker. That's how that works. But yes, they, they do um, help unhoused veterans who are coming into housing through an agency. Um, let's see what else. Thanks for Chicago Furniture Bank. You're welcome. Um, more conversations about... Um, oh, someone agrees with me. Recent conversations about migrants, the fact that Aurora... And I think Kankakee are Republican counties. It figures they would be in league with Governor Abbott. Well, that's my suspicion when I got the speculator out. That's what I think. Their aim is to punish Biden in Chicago uh, for the 2024 Democratic Convention. They'll continue the trafficking until then. I suspect they'll continue it beyond then unless we impound all their buses and their planes. Um, and then perhaps they'll stop. So let's let's talk about something a little more cheerful. Little cheerier, my friend, Grammy award-winning jazz writer and radio personality, Neil Tesser, back with us on WCPT. Hi, Neil. Hi, Tori. How are you? I'm I'm having fun, actually. I love coming in here and I hosting. Heard I heard you say with a, a certain amount of surprise that someone agreed with you. Don't, doesn't that happen all the time? <laughs> Almost never. Starting from the moment I wake up uh, in the morning to the time I go to bed at night, the dog, the dog agrees with me in my house. If I say, aren't you the cutest dog? The dog agrees with me. Beyond that, <laughs> game on. So, you never agree with me. We had a conversation just the other day about, I don't even remember what it was, and you didn't agree with me. And even you, my one well, of my oldest friends in the whole universe, don't agree with me most of the well, time. Well, I, I, I agree that I didn't agree with you then. Oh, call the Guinness Book of World Records. So, Neil, let's just say you've got people coming in from all over the world to this great jazz city and surrounding area of ours, and they want to hear some jazz. And you don't maybe normally go hear jazz, but you want your guests to be entertained. What do you do? There's stuff going on at the big clubs. Uh, some of the smaller clubs are a little less uh, busy. They they give their employees some time off, but there are some things happening, and I can tell you about a couple of them. I would like I can that. tell you about the. I can tell you about the world famous jazz showcase, which um, has been presenting jazz under that rubric since I believe 1947 when Joe Siegel was a student at Roosevelt University and began bringing in jazz concerts and then created the Jazz Showcase, which is world famous. Under the rubric, uh, but not, died. not under the same roof, though. They moved, correcto? No, they have been peripatetic. Really? They have moved, well, at first, there was, at first there was no real place he was doing. He called it the Jazz Showcase, but it wasn't a set um, physical location. Oh. And then over the years, he's been lots of places. I mean... I arrived in town, you know, a little over 50 years ago, and in that time, he was doing concerts at the North Park Hotel on Sundays, and then he was doing concerts at a at a basement room on Rush Street underneath what used to be called the Happy Medium, an old, old club. Yeah. And then he moved around to various places. He was on uh, 
Grand Avenue. He was at the Blackstone Hotel. That's where you, I went with you to, to see something many, many years ago at the Blackstone Hotel. It was a beautiful space, but it's not there anymore. The space. Well, no, but he is in a great space. Uh, I, I should say he, I mean the Jazz Showcase. Joe Siegel died several years ago, but his son, Wayne Siegel, has done a bang-up job of just continuing the tradition and extending it. And he's, he's just... He, he's really taken the reins and brought the the club fully into the 21st century with new bookings. It's a beautiful space that he helped design, and it really is the best club that the Jazz Showcase has ever occupied in its many decades of having been around. And where is that, I I have to ask? Uh, It's it's at 806 South Plymouth. It's right down in uh, Printer's Row and just behind what used to be the Dearborn Station. Ah, So it's... Again, the address eight hundred six South Plymouth. It's uh, there's a there's a big bar Louie on the corner, and then you just walk a little further down the street, and there's the club. Do do they allow families with minor children to come, or no? Well, that's the really lovely thing. Uh, from the very beginning of the time, since again for the last fifty years or so, uh, they have a Sunday matinee. Oh. And that is an all-ages show. So normally the club has uh, sets at 8 and 10, and then on Sunday afternoon there's a matinee at 4 o'clock to which children are more than welcome. And people bring their kids, lots of kids, and they're wonderfully well-behaved. And even if they're not, if they're very young and they're making some noise, well, that's kind of part of the music as well. It's a, it, it really is a family-oriented affair. That is so cool because we, we've we taken our kids to everything since they were little, although we started out only taking them, in the, and this was facilitated by living in the Bay Area where the weather is good, but we would take them to outdoor things so that mm-hmm. they learned to behave, and if they made noise, we could just sort of walk away a little bit. But to know that there's an indoor space where you could take your kids or your grandkids to a Sunday matinee, and is it the same caliber of talent on Sundays as you might find on a on a weekend night or different? I. I have not explained myself fully, apparently. Ah. It is uh, the same band that is there Thursday through Sunday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights. It's the same band, whether that's a visiting star from out of town or a, a local really high-quality band, or as is the case with the show that will be there next week, a uh, Chicago musician who has gone to New York and won awards and is now one of the top artists in the field. Uh, but first, let me tell you who's there this weekend, okay. because people may want to go tomorrow. Okay. And that is a trumpet player. That's a trumpet player named Corey Wilkes, who's been around for a while. He's a wonderful, fiery, really advanced player with an unbelievable spirit. And he, too, is pretty well known uh, internationally uh, for his own music, as well as for his work with the Art Ensemble of Chicago, uh, which is a, a, a internationally renowned, yes. legendary band. Yes. And also uh, for his work with uh, some groups here led by the percussionist Tahil El-Zabar, who himself is internationally known. Uh, some of these people are uh, more famous elsewhere than they may be in their hometown, at least among a general populace. So Corey Wilkes has got his band there tonight, and they've been there the last couple of nights. I'm going to try to get by tonight myself. And that same band is playing tomorrow afternoon at 4. Oh, very cool. See, this is so important because... If you're going to raise kids who have an appreciation or an understanding or a love for music, um, we all hear the stories, oh, I went off to college and that's when I discovered. But but it's nice for kids to start 
young appreciating this stuff. And how do the musicians typically feel about performing a family show on Sunday? What are some of the things you've heard them say about it? Well, you know, you would think that this could be sort of, oh, I got to take care of the kids today. That would be me. I would say that. And and nobody that I've seen treats it that way. One, um, they realize that it's, I mean, they're professionals. They're still going to play a great show. But secondly, uh, so many of these musicians warm to the idea of speaking to a young and still younger generation. So it's not just that they're hoping to play for the people who are in their 50s who've been following them for years and that they're happy to engage some people in their 20s, but they're thrilled with the idea that there are teenagers and uh, kids who are 9 and 10 and 11 who are there and are digging the music. And they're so uh, gracious about, uh, you know, shaking hands and talking to the parents and their kids afterwards. It, it really is, it's, it's very heartwarming. I mean, they, it, it seems like they really sort of it, it absorb everyone in the room. They sort of embrace them as an extended family of that all ages. lovely. Now you said you were yeah. going to give us a little clue about who's going to be there next weekend. Yeah, next week it's a guy named Marquise Hill, who grew up in Chicago and was um, um, instrumental. No pun intended. Oh, come on, pun intended. No, I didn't. I didn't mean to. Okay. And he performed in the uh, the Jazz Institute of Chicago has a Jazz Links program, which is a, a mentorship program, and it's a, a way for young musicians to work in jam sessions with established musicians and also form their own bands. And a lot of these guys are and women are really. Tremendous, and several of them have gone on now to New York and have become extremely well known. Uh, in this case, Marquis Hill, the trumpeter, like uh, his uh, compatriot Joel Ross, who was a vibraphonist, they are both signed to Blue Note Records, and they, uh, which is a, a storied label now in its 85th year, wow. and uh, regularly considered at the top of all jazz recording labels. They are both involved uh, with that label and they play on each other's albums now i don't know if joel ross is coming in for this particular gig i'm trying to check as we talk here uh they haven't really listed the personnel yet but uh marquise hill may very well have brought him along for this and uh, marquise is a, a i mean he's a phenomenal trumpet player with a great deal of soul as well as technique and he will do a, a bang-up job again of speaking to the kids Well, let me reintroduce you if you're just joining us. This is Grammy Award-winning jazz writer and radio personality, Neil Tesser. Um, You mentioned that um, this musician will bring that musician. I would imagine that over the winter holidays, in in a strange sort of way, you have extra opportunities to see people who are from here who have gone to be hugely successful on the national and international stage because they come home for the holidays. Um, Would that be an accurate guess? And and uh, assuming that's true, who else might be showing up in town to, to drop in on a session or uh, to play a booking over the holidays? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Um, I, uh, I will just add one thing that Marquis Hill's group is going to be there next Wednesday through uh, Christmas Eve. And um, so that usually the bookings of the Wait a minute, Christmas, on Thursday. Christmas Eve is, is I mean, yeah, New, Year's, New, New Year's Eve. Sorry, yeah. New Year's Eve. Okay. New Year's Eve, sorry. Uh, but usually the bookings start on uh, Thursday, and Marquise is in for a full five days, including that Sunday matinee. And again, that will be 
after Christmas next week and leading up to New Year's Eve. Um, but there are other musicians who, who come to town. Uh, um, the thing is that there's also all these musicians who are in town but not traveling, who live here but are in town because they are not on the road somewhere else. Uh-huh. And one of those is a guy who is at the uh, Green Mill tonight. Now, this would not be a, a, a kid's show because the Green Mill is is not a... That's okay. don't have we'll, a we'll do one for the adults friendly. here. We'll, we'll do a couple for yeah. the adults. Yes. Yeah, but then I have another one for the kids, so we'll wait, get wait, to wait, that. Wait, 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 wait. Tell but me tonight, tonight. Yeah, tonight. Tonight is uh, uh, Frank Catalano, who is uh, a fire-breathing saxophonist who's you know, he started recording when he was about 17, and he is just a hell-for-leather player. It's just right to the wall all the time. He's a ton of fun. He has worked most frequently in recent years in a band that includes the uh, drummer from the Smashing Pumpkins. Huh. From Smashing Pumpkins, they work together. I think I've heard Catalano um, before, but they're yeah. going to be playing yeah. together at the Green Mill, which is in your neighborhood and uh, mine. Well, uh, 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 Jimmy, the drummer, Jimmy Chamberlain, is not on this gig as far as I know. Mm. I'm just giving you a little background about Frank and, and the circles he tends to move in outside of Just Jazz. But he is at the Green Mill tonight with his own group, and... Um, and really, I haven't seen any listing as to who's with him. So it could be Jimmy Chamberlain. People could show up and be surprised. Well, but, uh, now, Nick, now we've ruined it, Nick, haven't we? We just ruined it for them. Uh, we don't know. We, we don't, don't know. know. The Green Mill also has uh, some Sunday performances. I think those are take more of the form of like poetry slams. And But I've heard some. Well, they have a poetry. Yes, they have a poetry slam uh, from three to five in the afternoon. And uh, that will not be happening this week because they're closed for Christmas Eve. Ah, okay. All right. But it, it when they do their Sunday afternoon things, you can bring minors to, to that, I believe. Yeah, I, I do believe that's true. Okay. So even if you can't get the actual jazz fix, you can at least, like, this is a real jazz. This jazz club is an institution, kiddos. So look forward to getting that legal ID so that you can show up when it's... <laughs> <laughs> when it's your turn, um, tell me a little. And if you bit. already have a legal, if you already have a legal ID, then next weekend at the Green Mill is their annual New Year's Eve show, and that is uh, what they call the Battle of the Saxes, where they have a couple of tenor saxophonists working with the rhythm section, and they just they just pair off against each other all night. It's um, it's a hoot. It also is a line around the corner, so get there early is my yeah. advice. Because yeah. Line, line around the block, and if it's cold out, wear, wear that warm coat, because it'll be a while before you get yeah. in. So, yep. what about, I've been hearing about, and you had mentioned, uh, a reimagining of the Nutcracker. What, a jazz, what, talk, talk about that a little bit, would you? So, so in 1960, uh, Duke Ellington and Billy Strayhorn, who was his equal and alter ego as a composer and pianist. They worked together on so many things uh, that uh, most people don't can't tell where one began and one left off. Uh, that's true of much of their music. Billy Strayhorn actually wrote Take the A-Train, which was Duke Ellington. You want to talk song. about why so, he didn't get all the attention he might have gotten a little bit since we're talking? Well, oh, part of it was he was a closeted gay man in the 1940s and 50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of it was his general personality was to not be um, uh, 
uh, flamboyant in the way that Duke Ellington was with uh, uh, flashy clothes and a great stage manner and a, a wonderfully charismatic onstage personality. That was not necessarily Billy Strayhorn's personality. Well, and, and then so the other he, thing is, as a closeted gay man, if he had had a flamboyant personality, it could have gotten him killed. So there's that. Well, that's that, that's probably true, but it just it just wasn't who he was. Okay. And yet, uh, everybody who's followed the music and many people beyond that, thanks to some things that have been written over the last 25 years, and through the real efforts of uh, Billy Strayhorn's uh, niece who lives in Chicago, uh, through all those efforts, the Billy Strayhorn story has become much more prominent as to what he did. But in any case, he and Ellington worked together to take the music from the Nutcracker Suite, Tchaikovsky, and retell it in jazz arrangements. And it's a wonderful suite. It's been, it was recorded back then in the early 1960s, and it has been performed often. And, uh, this week at the Auditorium Theater and through December 30th, the day before New Year's Eve, uh, there's uh, something called Sugar Hill, which I have not gotten to see yet, but which sounds fascinating. It's uh, to take the music of that suite, the Ellington, Strayhorn, Tchaikovsky. That's, they're all, all their names are the listed mashup. as the composers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the music is, is just... <sighs> It's really moving and really swinging. And uh, you, you hear the Tchaikovsky themes. Tchaikovsky was a great songwriter. He wrote great melodies, and they really lend themselves to jazz in these big band arrangements. But they're going to be playing that music, and there is choreography. This is essentially a ballet that will be done to the jazz music, but as I understand it, within the frame of... Uh, uh, I'll read from the press release, a nonconformist daughter of a high society black family in Manhattan and her fantastic dream world in the Sugar Hill neighborhood of Harlem. And who are so the dancers for this? Who it's the com- what is the company that is doing this? Uh, the uh, direction and choreography is by Joshua Burgass. And I'm not exactly sure where the dancers are drawn from. I don't know that this is a particular company in existence, but it, they have been put together at least for this performance. Okay. And speaking of put together, I think and I, that's I, I mentioned this to you, but but it's certainly a pleasant change from the people around the corner from me who have been blasting the Nutcracker Suite off their front porch as an accompaniment to their moving Christmas decorations for the last, I think, since Thanksgiving. So if you need to get, if you live uh-huh. in Ravenswood and you've had it with the people blasting the Nutcracker Suite until three in the morning with the moving lights and the Santa display, this might just get it out of your head. I'm just giving you this is a tip. Um, I hope it helps. Yes. Yeah. So go ahead. My guess is you're not. Yes. My guess is that you're not snapping your fingers to that. No. Nope. But you would be to this. No, I'm ready to snap all together. Thank you for mentioning <laughs> it. Yes, snapping it of another sort the, completely. Like chain. I wonder if anyone has ever just chainsawed their neighbor's Christmas decor. I wonder if that has happened yet. Well. If not, you you would be the first on my list. You would be the one I would suspect. You're betting on me? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I, it's, I, I'm not daring you. No, I, I'm not, no. Please don't no, do it. No, no, no Christmas decorations were harmed in the airing of, of this show today. Uh, but it's certainly, I mean, who the heck thinks this is a good idea? All right. Back back to the Nutcracker and the Brown and the, what is that's it called? A, Sugar Hill. That's it. 
Sugar Hill, the Ellington Strayhorn Tchaikovsky Nutcracker. And it's uh, at the auditorium through December 30th. So you go to the auditorium theater site. There's more information. If you want to get tickets, you can look there. Cool. Anything else we should be aware of for grownups, maybe? Well, for grownups, um, there's a place called The Piano, which is also not far from where both you and I call home on the north side. This is at 6970 North Glenwood Avenue, so hmm. up or closer to Rogers Park. And uh, you know it? No, I was I was thinking of a different place that does cabaret. So, no, I'm excited to hear about this. It's practically Evanston. Yeah. yeah. So they, they do some cabaret, but a lot of jazz, and they have a piano because it's called La Piano. Well, they darn well better. I mean, can you imagine them calling primarily. themselves La Piano and you show up and there's like no piano there? I would want my money back. Well, it would just mean, every, it would just mean everybody just spoke really softly. Oh, that's a good, Nessie, pun intended. Go ahead. That was, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, at the La Piano, which is largely pianists and vocalists, they also have a Hammond B3 organ. Oh. And a fellow named Ben Patterson, who used to live in Chicago, moved back over the summer. He's a pianist, certainly an ex- ex- uh, an excellent, excellent pianist, but he's also a really pleasing organist. I mean, his, his, organ, his organ music, his organ trios are uh, among my favorite in recent years. Uh, ben Patterson was most recently on the road in the band that backs up Samara Joy. So, you know, he moves in some pretty high circles as well. Cool. Samara Joy is the, you, you've, you've heard of her, I think. Yes. She's, she's been, been on very, Fresh Air uh, and she's been, yeah, all yeah. over the place. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So she's gotten some, he's performing. Yeah. So he's there Thursday. Oh, good. Okay. He's there Thursday. Just Thursday, though. Uh, he's been doing every Thursday this month, and I don't know if it continues into January. So for sure, the last chance to catch him would be this coming Thursday or the best chance to catch him. And we'll see if he continues into the new year. All right. One last question, though, and I, I guess I should have alerted you. I was going to ask you this. But for families on a budget, is there a place where there's some free jazz they can stop by and hear? A cultural center, a library, a park district, something, anything you know of? Or will we just have to wait for that till spring yeah not so much of that during the holiday um simply because so many places that would be doing it would be outdoors and a lot of those programs just closed down i mean the cultural center those people have to have a vacation too yes so a lot of those places are not really open for those kinds of performances Got it. well we love um, it that they give people vacations because that's why i'm here <laughs> so yeah, right. yes we love vacations but one place that i think will not be too expensive, um, depending on when you get there uh, or when you get there to get a ticket. I've seen uh, differing uh, ticket prices for this, but there's a band in town called Muka Pacha. Have you heard of them? I don't think I can even say them. Never mind heard of them. That's a pretty crazy 30-piece big band with a marching band influences and klezmer influences and frank zappa influences i guess i better learn to say them then at muka pacha all right then okay all right they've got a million threads coming in there and they and they dress in full marching band regalia although none of the uniforms match and they (laughs) are a lot of fun i mean i'm looking at the picture here They, they, they are just they're 
they're, they're described as an absurdist big band, and I would say that that doesn't that that doesn't quite do justice to them. Uh, but where they are, are they? Where are panic. they? Where are they? Where? 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 They are going to be at. Uh, oh, I had it here just a second ago. Yeah, well, they're count on Mukapacha to move when you're not looking. Yeah, they're going to be at the Chop Shop, which is at Damon and North Avenue. Oh, and okay. And they're going to be there New Year's Eve. All right, so then. It, you know, you'll you'll pay a New Year's Eve, uh, you know, stipend or or add on. It's going to be more expensive because it's New Year's Eve, but um, it's still not completely breaking the bank. And even if you don't get to see them on New Year's Eve, if you remember Mukapacha, and if they move, it's just because they're marching, um, then you'll get to right. find them somewhere else. Neil, it's been, yeah. it's always so fun to talk to you, and, and I hope I get more work here at CPT just so I can talk to you some more, because lately, even though you're one of my oldest friends, this is the only way I can nail you down for an extended conversation, <laughs> so I'm grateful, and thank you very much for spending part of your weekend on CPT. That was nice of you. Okay, take care. Thank you. That's uh, Neil Tesser. He's a Grammy-awarded writer, jazz writer, radio host. There's pretty much, there's nothing about jazz that, as you've probably deduced by now, he does not know. I'm Tori Ryder, in for Edwin Eisendrath. It is 3.31 on WCPT. You're listening to The Big Picture with Edwin Eisendrath on WCPT 820. 334, I am Tori Ryder. That's Tori with you. Ryder like the truck. In for Edwin. I'll be in uh, next week for him as well. And all the next couple weeks for Ms. Esposito, who is getting a well-deserved Christmas holiday break. So we'll have many opportunities to speak again. Uh, Four o'clock today, Collaboration Radio. You'll want to stick around for that. Let's talk a little Kwanzaa, shall we? Malcolm X College is having a celebration, and it's free, and it's open to the public um, coming up on Tuesday, the day after what when many people celebrate Christmas. And you may not know much about Kwanzaa, or you may know something about it, but be looking for a, a really spirited celebration. So I'd like to introduce you to... David Sanders, I believe, is the first name. I'm so bad with names. I'm really terrible with names. David, welcome. You're on WCPT. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. I like to joke that I was on my fourth day with my now husband of almost 30 years before I could remember his name either. <laughs> so, um, and, and maybe he wishes I hadn't. So, so tell me a little bit, for for the uninitiated, It's it's kind of... Um, one of those things that we're now all supposed to know about, but some of us are embarrassed, like admitting you don't remember somebody's name. You're embarrassed to admit maybe that you don't know all that much about Kwanzaa. So let's start there. Well, listen, Kwanzaa is in a celebration of the African-American heritage uh, that has been around for many, many years. And in fact, is one of the longest uh, festivals in the the. Uh, history of the the city of Chicago, and it is a tremendous event that really uh, talks about the culture, the heritage, the history, and the pride uh, that's within the African American community. Well, that's a pretty good place to start, and I think that um, if correct me if I'm wrong, there was also a concept that the community was was 
anxious for a place to talk about the culture that was present before there was, for some people, they would consider it an imposition of Christianity or a, um, an awareness of other faiths. That this predates these values, these celebrations, this heritage uh, is, is ancient in a lot of ways. Would that be accurate to say? That's right. It, you know, it, it really uh, centers on the elders and the, the ancestors and making sure that we're living uh, the culture and that, you know, we have uh, there's a value system that people live by and that we care for one another and look out for one another. And we, you know, there is a value system and ethics, morals that we adhere to. So um, it, it really is um, a celebration that uh, calls for you to be reflective and to think about, you know, what you have done. Um, is that in alignment? And if it's not, what adjustments do we need to make? Um, because we are a brother's keeper. Well, the, I, I love the sound of that. And yet the event is not so serious that it, it, it foregoes an, an estimate an and, and, I can't even say it. Let's just switch. A spirit of celebration and a, a spirit of participation. And could you talk a little bit about how Malcolm X College is going to present and enfold the community in its Kwanzaa celebration? Sure. So from December the 26th to January the 1st, we will have celebrations each and every day from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Um, and we'll start off with a drum call and there will be dancing and there will be music and uh, there will be all, all kinds of, of entertainment and events um, for people to take advantage of. We will have um, a bunch of our exhibitors that will be there and vendors who will be selling their wares. Um, and we'll have individuals who will come and give, you know, talks about the history and the heritage, um, not only of you know, Kwanzaa, but of the African-American people. Um, and so um, it's a wonderful, wonderful celebration. Um, it has been with Malcolm X for many, many years. Um, there was a period of time when we were moving from our old building to our new building uh, that we had to stop the celebration. And then when we brought it back because of uh, some budget cuts, we had to only have one day. But this will be the first year that we've gone back to seven days, which, you know, everyone in the community is excited about. And it's free to the community, correct? Free of charge. Yeah. Free of charge. Love that. Anyone can come. Um, and, you know, it, and it's it's a wonderful celebration. It's all about the spirit of people and it's all about, you know, doing the right things and, and, and you know, working together and, and being one. It's, it's you know, truly a, a blessed event. I'm excited at the idea of going. Is it inclusive? Is it welcoming to people of other faiths and races and nationalities? Or is this for us, by us primarily? No, it's for everyone, you know. You know, I think, you know, it's important that we remember where we came from, right? Mm -hmm. If we think about America as a whole, and, you know, when I was growing up, and I can still consider myself to be young, but in my day, you know, we, we borrowed sugar from one another, and it was, you know, race, creed, color, religion, it didn't matter. We, 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 were, we were helpful to one another. We didn't have to lock our doors, at least where we lived, you know, you, and, and, you know, we didn't live in uh, rich means or anything like that, but, it, you know, we didn't have to lock our doors because there was a value system that was there in our neighborhoods and, and we cared for each other's kids. And I think, you know, it may be good for all of us to think about that and see where we've gone wrong that we're so isolated right now. And 
um, you know, and be, have become the, the what we become, which is not unified. What I, I, I'm 100 percent with you on absolutely every single thing that you just said. So let's talk about the families coming. Um, what what do the parents say to you about the importance of participating in this and what do the kids respond to usually? Is it the dancing? Is it the drumming? And while I'm at it, is it strictly presentational or is it also participatory? Um, it, 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 there is entertainment and certainly, you know, there's opportunities for you to enjoy, um, you know, the events that are there, but it is also participatory and the people love it. They love the opportunity to understand, um, the history and the background around the music and, and all that happens on the stage and, and the dances because there are, they are cultural and they have a particular message. And so each and every time that you come there, there's a focus on a particular message of Kwanzaa um, and, and the people just love it. And, but, you know, I think uh, again, you know, and, and Malcolm X had an opportunity to take people uh, back to, to Africa, to the continent of Africa uh, last this year. Um, and we will be taking people there next year as a part of our study abroad program. Um, and we've been able to see um, the culture in its uh, origins, and it is absolutely wonderful, you know, and, and, and how there's a reverence of our elders, you know, the people that have been around longer and that are holding on uh, to these cultural mores and values. It's really a wonderful, wonderful event. It sounds like it would really forge uh, bonds between neighbors, communities, families. And I'm guessing you get a lot of feedback from people after the event. What, what do the kids say they most learned and enjoyed and what was new to them? Uh, I think they, they love the music the most. They love the dancing. Uh, they also love some of the arts um, because there's a lot of, as I said, vendors and exhibitors, and they sell their wares, and um, there's a lot of books, um, and there's just a lot of materials that, that resonate with them that, you know, they're able to see doctors that look like them and lawyers that look like them and, and uh, people in different uh, professions that they never thought about before. And so all that happens in the week. Um, so, you know, there's some awareness and, and uh, eye-opening events that help them to understand the world better and say, hey, you know, that's an opportunity for me, too. I love that. that I, and it wouldn't have occurred to me. And if you weren't here today, it wouldn't have occurred to me to ask about that. But if if they get the opportunity to experience different professions where they wouldn't necessarily see themselves represented in mainstream culture and say, look, there's somebody who does this and I could yep. do that, too. I mean, we've all heard the, the expression, if, if you can't see it, you can't be it. Um, right. Who are some of the professionals who come to this event that... Um, that show what they do in the spirit of Kwanzaa so that people could say, I- I'd be inspired to, to do that medical research or I'd be inspired to do that kind of journalism or w- what would be some of the things that, that they would see? It's all over, right? So you have the elders who hold various positions uh, in our world and they come to this type of an event because, again, it's about reflection and, and remembering where you came from and, you know, what character we should be possessing and, and showing to the world. Um, and so everyone comes. I'll be there. My, my entire 
uh, staff and many of my faculty members will come. The community uh, is coming. So, you know, it, it, there will be a cross section of people coming from all over that people have the opportunity to interact with. That's one of the things that I love about it as well is that, you know, you you're, it's not just what you're seeing on the stage or what people are talking to, but it's also the people in the audience that interact and engage each other and have a wonderful time. If you had to pick one spectacular event to attend, if you, you know, you work, you need to take time off, maybe what would be the spectacular event that you would want to take your family to? I know, I know, it's not fair. It's not a (laughs) fair, I am not being fair because everybody else is going to go, David, you didn't, Professor Sanders, you didn't pick my event. But I'm known for that troublemaker that I am. Go ahead. I want to hear it. We got to say Kwanzaa. I mean, Kwanzaa is really, really a wonderful event. It is really, you know, there's the, the only agenda is about introspection, looking at yourself and uh, and reminding us about the values that we should carry. I think that's so important, especially in this world. Um, you know, we, 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 we really sometimes forget that we're all the same. Yes, we may have different pigmentations of skin and yes, we may have different backgrounds and, 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 and uh, different experiences, but really we're all the same. Um, and so, you know, we, we've got to remember that and come together and, you know, work together for the good of all. I, if you're just joining us, I, I want to remind you that you are hearing the president of Malcolm X College, a doctor, is that appropriate, David Sanders, I'm assuming uh, that the doctor goes with it as well as president. But if I, if you if you get all the honorifics you can, darling, get them all. Um, so, um, and, and he is speaking to us about the Kwanzaa celebration at Malcolm X College. It's free to the community. Everyone is welcome. And you heard him say that just about every one of the arts and professions will be Represented there as well as, and and I'm just going to add this in here, um, President Sanders. I'm just going to add in, if you're a late Christmas shopper. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, by the way, am a fan of giving people a gift I owe you and then letting them go pick out the thing in the general category that pleases them. And I would yes. respectfully suggest that if you're doing both Christmas and Kwanzaa, that you maybe do a little IOU shopping spree in the stocking <laughs> for people to come to the 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 vendors and see and let let that could be an adventure and an exciting thing for families to do, right? Well, listen, you know, uh, Kwanzaa obviously occurs right after Christmas, so um, it is a tremendous opportunity if you, you know, have some gifts that, you know, didn't quite, quite relate with you and you, you went to the return section <laughs> and you're thinking about something to buy, yeah. come on by. Yes, and the IOU. All kinds of artwork. Yes, yeah. oh, artwork, yeah. so important. All yes. kinds of artwork that's there, you know, from some fantastic um, artists and uh, there's all kinds of of, of clothing and, and just, a you know, books and uh, you name it, it is there, um, and our vendors are excellent. They're going to be there from all over the country. We have people uh, coming from Michigan. We have people coming from uh, Mississippi. They're coming from all over because they want to be a part of this event, and we're just excited about it. And, 
again, it's it's free to everyone. Free. You don't have to pay a dime to come uh, to Kwanzaa itself. Yeah, the jewelry will cost you though. Just I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just saying. Um, okay. So the the where and the when specifically, and also I have to ask because I, I tend to get stuck with the mommy van. There's parking. Yeah, free parking. We have a huge parking garage uh, that has 1,230 cars. So uh, come on down. Bring the mommy van. Bring it all. So where exactly and when exactly could you tell people? Sure. Malcolm X College, 1900 West Jackson Boulevard, Chicago, Illinois, 60612. Uh, It will be December the 26th through January the 1st from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. every single day, and we look forward to having you there. Well, you've been very generous with your time. I know it's a weekend, holiday weekend, and all of that stuff, but I think you've gotten us pretty excited about the event, the Kwanzaa celebration. So, President Sanders, I thank you so much for your time, and whatever you're celebrating, I hope it's meaningful and festive, and we'll, I guess, see you uh, at Malcolm X College with I'll, I'll be the one who looks frazzled. Okay. <laughs> That'll well, be I'll me. Be looking for you. That'll be me. I'll All be- right. Well, thanks again. It was good speaking with you. It's 349. I'm Tori Ryder in for Edwin Eisendrath. And if you can make it, send me some of your pictures. I'm on all the socials. I I love your pictures. When you go to these events, any of the things that you hear about on WCPT, if you go to hear jazz, if you go to the Kwanzaa celebration, if you go to see uh, the, what is it? The mother, mother, (laughs) uh, what the heck are they called again? Um, mother freaking hood. Yeah. Send me a picture from that. I love all that stuff. Just send it right to me. Um, you can find me Facebook. I'm avoiding Elon Musk's X. I'm sorry to tell you. I'm just kind of avoiding it, but I'm on Facebook and I am on Insta. So, uh, you can find me in all of those places. I'm going to go back to your texts, um, because I want to make sure I have time for all of that. Um, and we, did we hang up on? Prof- I think. No, we saw them. Oh no, we, we're that we're. we're <laughs> uh, so yes, so I want to thank. Um, I want to thank uh, Henry for for pushing all the buttons so nicely, and Julia for um, helping me find all these cool people for you to meet and talk to. And I want to get back to the text a little bit with the few minutes that we have. Somebody pointed out that uh, Thaddeus Tooks on Vibes is someone you should know about. I was told to ask Neil, but I was talking to Neil, not reading the text right at that moment. Sorry. Um, but I, I would go to the website, which is Thaddeus, I'm going to spell that, T-H-A-D-D-E-U-S, Tooks, T-U-T-U, losing my powers of speech, T-U-K-E-S dot com. There is a website, I guess, that there weren't a lot of people trying to claim it, Thaddeus Tooks. When you give your kid a really unusual name, you can pretty well bet that she or he or they will be able to claim that domain. And that's a nice reason to give your kid a truly obscure name like the one I ended up with. That's why you can find me at TouriRider.com. Also, uh, this from someone who heard our um, conversation about street trees and the fact that they are turning into street sticks because people don't know how to take care of them and the people who are supposed to take care of them aren't taking care of them. Um, Advice. 
When a new tree is planted on a parkway, all cities should use a slow-release water bag and fill it once a week for the first few years. Well, that may be, but someone has to fill it once a week. And um, I don't know. Have you have you been in the city of Chicago lately? We ha- we have some other pressing concerns right now. And so I would say that there's what's right, there's what's wrong, and there's what is. And here in the city of Chicago, the likelihood of you getting the city of Chicago to refill a water bag once a week, uh, you might as well buy yourself a lottery ticket. The odds are about the same. You could be the next big winner. I do want to take a moment, in all seriousness, if you are a talk radio fan and you've been listening to talk radio for a long time in Chicago, um, you may know that I worked for a while at WGN and so did our wonderful Patty Vasquez. And so if you were a regular listener there, you may know a host who was there some time ago, Ian Punnett. And I'm sorry to have to bring you the news that uh, Ian Punnett passed away very recently after a brief illness. And so um, I, I don't like to be the bearer of bad news. But as part of this talk radio community of Chicago that is so dear to me and obviously to you, um, you might want to know that uh, Marjorie is now missing her partner in life. They worked together a lot. They worked together in Twin Cities Radio when I was there and uh, just got word that Ian is no longer with us. And that, that was a sad one. Coming up... I want to let you know what, what lies ahead as, as the week continues. Um, there's going to be a best of WCPT on Monday, Christmas Day. And then Tuesday, I will be in for Joan. And you're going to get a chance to hear about what the heck exactly is going to be going on with the Thompson Center, which Google owns now. And, um, and we're going to hear from someone who is probably the most knowledgeable person uh, in the area of Chicago architecture, Lee Bay. He is the sometimes architecture critic member of their editorial board. And I love, here's one of the things I love, and I haven't even said this to Lee personally because we've not spoken yet. But he did a piece on um, when these big buildings get bought and there's public art in and around them, what happens to this famous public art and there's some famous public art at uh, at the um, Thompson Center, and some of it was actually missing. So maybe we'll have some information to help solve that for you. Also coming up, um, we will be speaking with um, Museum of Contemporary Arts, Jamila James, about their exhibition, American People. And we're going to do an end-of-the-year report card on Mayor Johnson. Which makes me circle back to a piece of text that came in um, for uh, this to the station about how um, and, and I a name did not come in attached to this, um, but there was somebody who pointed out um, that the mayor the mayor needs to be doing a better job uh, that he is failing the migrants. And that he's supposed to be the mayor of all the people, which I guess the texter means not just the people who could vote. And I would respond to this texter to say, yeah, but you know how that works in real life. You vote, you get attention. You don't vote, you get bupkis. So, which, by the way, 
um, is another thing we're going to be talking about uh, with you as you uh, include yourself in the conversation. What about these people who are so irritated with Joe Biden over the war in the Middle East that they're just saying outrageous things like, well, I won't vote or I'll vote for a third party. We're going to talk about that in the coming week as well, because frankly, I I think that this would not come as a surprise to anybody. If you don't want Trump, you had better vote for Biden. And And you don't get no high horses here. That is a luxury you do not have. And if Trump wins again and I find out you voted for a third party person, you are not getting any cookies at my house. I'll just tell you that right. It's your fault. I'm blaming you. I'm coming right to you on this. I will blame you and blame you loudly right here on this radio station. I'll say, well, you, you third party stay at home voter, you're the one that gave us that son of a. So don't try it. Don't you dare. No high horses. Unless you live in like a sterlingly blue state. In which case, you should really be walking precincts in a purple state. Because otherwise, I don't know, I'm afraid. I'm, I'm very afraid. I probably shouldn't admit to this. There is a conversation going on in my house every day. Swear to me. Swear to me we're not going to get that monster again. Swear to me. But you people... You know who you are, you high horse riders. I don't like Joe Biden. I don't like the way he's... So I'm just going to fight for... You know what? I can't even say it on the radio. I can't even say what I think of you high horsers. Don't come around me. As Tom Petty would sing, don't don't come around here no more. It's three minutes before four o'clock. A reminder that uh, you are going to have the opportunity to hear. I can never. I can't say anything. Collaborate radio. Collaborate. action. Good lord. Why? 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 What is the name? Do they have a name for this disability where the name for absolutely everything? I guess it's probably should be a disqualifier for being a talk show host, but so far they keep letting it slide. Just about 3.58. Thanks so much for spending Saturday with me, and we'll see you on Tuesday. Live, local, and progressive, you're hearing WCPT Radio. And you better just check it out all week long because we've got great stuff for you. Oh, 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 oh,